0: everybody, and welcome to the Plain Talking UK podcast. This is episode 411. This is going to be a very unique episode because we have no producer, we have no Carlos, we have no Nev, Matt's frantically hitting the button, and we've got all these guests that have never done this before, so... (laughs) What could go
1: wrong? Hi, everybody. How are you? Hey, hi. <laughs>
2: um,
1: yeah, I, I, yes, I'll be honest. I've never been more nervous right now than I ever have been in my entire life. <laughs> That's good. That's perfect for aviation. So listen, guys, in this
0: week's show, we have one passenger who we're going to talk about. I can't wait to get everybody's take on this, who instantly becomes a pilot, lands a Cessna caravan in Florida, and says, ah, I'm the passenger. Um British Airways says nope to something. Um, Oh, to your compensation. And face masks are becoming a dying breed. Also, in the military, because I'm here today and I'm running this show, so we're going to have some military. Uh, (laughs) We watched some videos of the mighty F-117 Nighthawk. And we have the first UFO hearing from the Department of Defense in over 50 years. How about that? So... I'm going to start around the horn here, our first guest, because he just took a swig. I'm going to go to him first. It's my man, your man, the main man, Micah.
3: How you doing, Micah? Hey, Armando. Hey, everybody. So great to be here. I just can't believe that PTUK standards would lower so much to have me here with <laughs> guests, all the others being four like, amazing pilots, including yourself, Armando. But thanks for having me on anyway.
0: Well, there is an amazing hiring spree in the airlines and aviation industry, so we have to stoop to Part 135 standards, which is why you're here, because you meet the lowest minimums. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's cold. Speaking of, speaking of lowest minimums, podcast royalty. Been flying since the Wright brothers, uh, Model B, or whatever it is that they flew their second time around. It was the B model. Our, our, our godfather... Captain Jeff from APG. How are you today, sir?
4: I'm so disappointed, Armando.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you wanted worse <laughs> than that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a danger being nice.
4: <laughs> Great to be here with you all, and I'm um, looking forward to uh, having a good time. I love that. That's what you
0: say now. Plus, I got to... <laughs> I, I can't uh, do anything too crazy because I'm going to see him in a couple of weeks here in Charlotte. So <laughs> um, keeping uh, going around the horn one of the plank holders of the Airplane Geeks podcast and uh, contributor to several news outlets and magazines and just a, an absolute legacy in this uh, podcast industry. It's Rob Mark. How are you,
5: Rob? Um, oh, that's me. Right, I'm sorry. I was. I should have been ready for that cue. Uh, no, listen. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, for those people that don't know, I've been flying a long time, even longer than Captain Jeff. So when Oof. they when they mention my name, they go, "Is he still alive?" Uh, <laughs> so I, I, you know, and after. I had surgery a couple of weeks ago on the back of my neck and I am not so certain I am alive at this point, Uh, (laughs) but (laughs) I I have all these fancy little pills that they're giving me for pain. Um, Mm. And if I do happen to just fall over, um, it will okay. See now, I'm t- I'm seeing two of me again. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the pills just kicking in. This yeah, explains a lot. Yeah, this, oh, you know, this where's, is doc- the
3: where's Dr. Steph when you really need it?
5: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so it's it's really nice to be here. Um, I mean, I spent many of my younger years um, uh, with uh, the Air Force uh, at an RAF station in uh, in Essex in the UK, and uh, that was when I was a mere lad. And um, you know, so uh, I I have a a pleasant uh, feeling in my bones for folks in the UK, Aww. despite the way you guys have treated me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm oh, in fact, look here. Some of you will love this. This is way the mini love it. This this is Eddie. It's a model of Eddie who's downstairs in the garage, <gasps> uh, and uh, he's uh, love yeah. that. It's uh, it's quite a quite a cool car. I love that.
0: Uh, out of out of curiosity, we're going to extend the, the intro here. Was that RAF Woodbridge or Bentwaters? Oh, no,
5: it was uh, Weathersfield.
0: Oh, wow. So you're an older. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, since we have a UFO story on the show, I was wondering if you were there when the when the UFO incident happened at RAF <laughs> Bentwaters.
5: Um, <laughs> it depends. What year was that? I think it was
0: 50-something, 55, 56, something like that. Um, I'll look it up before the military section.
5: Jesus, Micah, he thinks I was there in the (laughs) 50s. Oh, my God. Anyways,
0: the storm is brewing. Uh, Moving right on. Uh, Listen, if you're a loyal listener to this show, you've met this young lady. She is an awesome individual, always sends the best Christmas cards in the world. Absolutely. She is a middle-of-the-night cargo driver um atp pilot and newly minted pilatus pc12 ngx pilot yes i just threw that voodoo on you um it's the lovely Mila.
2: hello everybody so nice to be here
0: thanks Mila, for coming on this is uh <laughs> it's always nice to just to see your face and you know most of us are just going to be like oh right right we're supposed to respond to I
1: I think she's in shock like the rest of us I'll be (laughs) I'm in shock I know that much
0: (laughs) well speaking of shock uh bring out the AED Matt how are you doing today
1: Uh, yeah you know in fact several people have said in the chat room here like just throw away the script let's just let's just chat for two hours oh yeah
4: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) let's do that yeah (laughs) yeah I'm good thanks mate how are you how now you've been doing a lot of flying this week isn't it because we haven't we've we've missed you for a, a good couple of weeks now bless you um Oh, my gosh. Because it's like, I mean, do you know what day it is? I, I want to tell you it was a Friday. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> it is. It
0: is nonstop. The only reason I know it's Friday is because of the traffic here on the Charlotte uh, Beltway. <laughs> but listen, the corporate and the charter industry is just going bananas right now because everybody's going to the regionals and to the airlines, um, leaving us uh, lowly corporate guys in a bind where we're now flying like four days a week, which is way more than, than I'm wanting to be flying. Um, yeah. But, hey, it is what it is. It's a it's a great time for the industry, and, and we're going to have some stories that talk about exactly that. So, um, first of all, I want to go through the chat room. Uh, listen, there's some great people in there. I see David Abbey. I see GB's Model Zone in there. Lee Davis. Uh, main man, Micah, with his blue spanner. Thank you for keeping those bots out preemptively. <laughs> uh, Dirk S., Mizzou's Kareem. Uh, the APG Show is in there. I've heard uh, of them. Yeah, 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 we've heard of them. Yeah, uh, Rick Bell. Major, Major Captain Rick Bell is uh, in there. Jacob Cosmo's in there. Katie's in there. Uh, and uh, my my loyal backup, should I ever falter, uh, Jonathan Warner is also Wee, in there. There we go. We're always
1: yeah. lined up and ready to go. Now, uh, listen, uh, before we go into the uh, commercial stories, uh, Armando, obviously, we heard some very, very sad news uh, this week uh, about in the community. Uh, and, uh, Micah, I wondered if you wouldn't mind just introducing uh, what we've got here.
3: Well, uh, we lost a, uh, a, a legend in, in, in the aviation community, both at, at Oshkosh and around some of our podcasts and, and other places, and that was Glenn Towler. So I, uh, I put together a little piece, and Matt, why don't you just play it? He was a citizen of the Commonwealth who once lived in the UK. He was a Kiwi from New Zealand, where he spent most of his life. But to many of us, although not ever an American citizen, nor even a full-time resident, he was the mayor of Oshkosh. As many of you already know, I'm describing Glenn Taller, a true aviation enthusiast and good friend to many in the aviation podcast community. You may have noticed that much of what I just said was in the past tense. If you haven't already heard, it is with a feeling of sadness that I need to tell you that Glenn flew west on Thursday, 12 May, 2022. For us here on PTUK today, that was yesterday it's a very sad story in so many ways while home in new zealand he had a horrible painful cough a few weeks ago a lung inflammation he was told and he was being treated for it while he was getting better he heard that his mother passed in the u k he was too ill to travel so they put off the funeral until he could make it last week he flew from new zealand to the u k via lax but when he arrived he wasn't feeling well he checked into a hospital And was diagnosed with a bowel obstruction and lung cancer. The plan was to have surgery to remove the blockage and then treat the lung cancer. He was in awful pain while they did tests and planned the surgery. On Wednesday, Glenn told us he just found out that his medical issues were beyond any kind of treatment and he only had weeks to go. On Thursday, yesterday, he was gone. Glenn and I never met We only communicated via Tweeter, and occasionally when we were in a group aviation Zoom call together. I need to be honest about this. He and I had arguments and disagreements, and in fact, had a major squabble last July. But we got through it. Glenn planned his trip to Oshkosh this year, to include a side trip to Maine. We were planning on getting together for a lot of hangar talk and a beer, or two, or three. It was going to be just a couple of months from now. Glenn is going to be missed by a lot of people. He knew everybody. Many say Oshkosh will never be the same without the mayor. But for those of you who feel that way, I want you to consider this. At Oshkosh EAA Air Venture from now on, Glenn has the best seats in the house. And Glenn, one more thing. That beer together is still going to happen. We'll just have to wait a little while longer for it. Save me a seat at the bar and enjoy yourself while you wait. I'm sure to be along sometime. And once I'm there, I promise to get the next round. For PTUK, here in Portland, Maine, this is your main man, Uncle Micah. Thank you, Micah. Much appreciated. As I say,
1: very, very sad story uh, that goes with that, obviously. And our thoughts are with uh, everyone, of course, who uh, who knew uh, Glenn personally. As I say, and uh, Oshkosh. Won't be the same without him. He very much was the, um, you know, the sort of the the the, the go
3: to person, wasn't it? Because he had been going for years, hadn't he? He's been going for ten years. It was his, he he went one time uh, after winning some kind of uh, ticket, and he decided to go, and he's been going every year ever since. And I don't think he's missed one since uh, hmm. two thousand and eleven. Um, I think you know, maybe he missed one year, but uh, but yeah, he will be missed there. He'll be missed by a lot of people. They are uh, he'll, uh uh, Jeff, do you know what uh, Hillel's putting together a a, a a brick for him at Oshkosh in the mm-hmm. wall. Do you know anything about that? I
4: yes. believe that that's in the works, and uh, there is a fundraiser. I, I believe it's still open via PayPal, and I'm sure we can give the uh, link to that to uh, Matt. Yep, absolutely. So we can put that yep. in the show notes. Um, but yes, there uh, there is a, a a plan underway to uh, help m- memorialize glenn yeah uh, at uh, air venture
1: well and that'll be a nice place to um sort of go and pay your respects as well isn't it you know sort of like a, a, a good place to sort of focus perhaps to to share memories and things like that well we will as i say uh our thoughts are of course with, with everyone who who knew glenn and uh, of course he will be very very sorely missed in the community but um hey, life goes rob, on as they say rob did you also have some words that you wanted? to
5: I, I was going to say I met Glenn that first year he was uh, uh, in uh, at Oshkosh uh, I think that was the same year that Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran came over Oh wow uh, and uh, uh, I actually managed to stuff uh, uh, two of those guys in in the back seat of uh, Eddie uh, No actually one in the back one in the front but uh, but it, it, it's amazing we I I just met him at, at the fence. There was always a party up at the northwest corner, um, up at the North 40. And uh, uh, he, he had a beer in his hand. He said, hello, you know, or whatever. And I said, hi. He said, you don't have a beer? I said, no. I said, you want one? Sure. And it was kind of kind of went from there. And, uh, you know, we, we it, it's a funny thing because everybody managed to stay in touch with with Glenn over the years because he was always on. Facebook or Twitter or or who knows what, <laughs> with some kind of crazy comment about this, that, or whatever, and uh, despite the fact that he had crazy, crazy notions. No, I'm just kidding, because he's not here. But it was really sad to hear this the other day that I I knew he had gotten sick. And then uh, Isaac uh, over in uh, Seattle called me and said, he's um, he's gone. Mm. I said, uh, I... You know, and that's the thing that really, that that's the really, that's the real kicker. Yeah. Sure. Is when, when friends pass and, and it's just, you know, it's like that. I think, um, I think
1: that Neil Landmore in the chat room has got, got the absolutely perfect comment here. He said, grab life while you can, people. I think if, if we could take any advice from, from what's gone on here, I think that's, uh, that's it. Um, yep. So- and as,
0: as uh, Jen Niffer in the chat room says, the fundraiser is open for another 20 days and we'll put a link in our, uh, show notes to that yep. fundraiser. Yeah,
1: we'll do. Okay, we'll move on then, All if we right, may, um, Armando. Um, as I say, because uh, you know the the last thing I know he would want is for everybody to be sort of sad about this. We're here to talk about aviation, and we've got an incredible group of people to do that with.
0: Let's do it. Let's go. Some commercial.
1: Oh, okay, now you see, you've done that to me. <laughs> <There> we can turn on <go>. the seatbelt light.
5: Please take your seats and fasten your
3: we were just all together in uh, in the uk in february all of us here oh that's we, right we like each other like we like cheesecake oh
0: anyways so we're back <laughs> <laughs> no listen guys this is uh this is an amazing story i'm sure you you've seen it already this made its way through all the social media even uh, national news media um it's been just about everywhere. Blank Elyrio channel did a thing on it. Vaz Aviation has the audio to this. Um, I think Matt's going to uh, have some pictures I've got uh, the, to play the, out. i the, the,
1: the pictures, the video, and some audio as well. So we'll perhaps save the, the video and the audio for after the story. Yeah, unbelievable. This is
0: the incredible moment that a passenger uh, en route to, be, to see his pregnant wife lands an aircraft on a Florida runway after telling the air traffic controller, my pilot is incoherent and I have no idea how to fly a plane. Um, now, this is Carlos's uh, dream in life is to to be called up to the flight deck of an airplane uh, when there's a incapacitation. But um, as you guys probably saw on the news already, an air traffic controller who was working printed out a picture of the plane's cockpit controls to help this passenger who had zero flight experience. Um, Robert Morgan, who was into has been in the industry for over 20 years, was on his break this last Tuesday afternoon. He was reading a book outside. Uh, after switching shifts as controllers do when he received an emergency call from a passenger with no flight experience that was trying to land a flight safely after that pilot suffered some kind of medical issue. Uh, Morgan had never flown the Cessna 208 Caravan, but is a FAA-certificated flight flight instructor. Um, He's got about 1,200 hours himself. And as we know from the uh, opposing base's podcast. Those That's the best combo ever, a controller who is also a pilot. And I feel like every controller should have some kind of flight experience. But either way, um, once they figured out where this airplane was and who was at the controls and kind of got an idea of this situation, the situation, the controller printed out a, a picture of the cockpit layout, which was a Cessna Caravan C208. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out if it was a G1000 or a, or a steam gauge model, but I, I think it was a G1000. Um, thanks, Jeff fifty one percent accuracy right there uh, which actually probably made it a little bit easier to find things around the cockpit because you know most people are used to computer screens um, Leonard Thompson International Airport, Marsh Harbor is where the airplane uh, took off from the destination was Palm Beach and I believe he was talking to uh, one of the controllers in, in South Florida and they were trying to get him over to um, Palm Beach approach as you guys will hear on the video but <laughs> one one of the funnest, quotes from this was, was the passenger said, well, uh, before I knew it, I was on the ground and I was wondering, how do I turn this thing off? <laughs> what, <laughs> what? Once he landed, uh, Morgan, the air traffic controller, ran out to meet the passenger, uh, who I believe has been identified since then, because there was a couple uh, pictures out on uh, social media. And if you guys watch the video, which we're about to do, the landing a little bit wobbly, but to be honest, it was is better than most of the airline pilots out there. It actually did a, a really really great job. Um, so Matt, if we've got some video, let's go ahead yep. and play that out.
5: I've got a serious situation here about pilot. Has gone into here, I have no idea how to fly the airplane, but I'm in 9100.
3: Number three 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 Lima Delta Roger. What's your position?
5: I have no idea. I can see the coast of Florida in front of me, and I have no idea.
4: To ask, I have a couple of things. It's,
5: it's a turbine, a turbine-powered it's a turbine powered airplane. The aircraft I mean. is
1: on the ground now. Um, so yeah, I mean, the situation
3: with the
1: pilot, perhaps you can comment on the ATC.
3: Um, uh, so, so
0: I, I'm going to defer to some of the other pilots on here to talk about. about uh, the actual landing, but the ATC controller—I mean, what, a, what an amazing job! First of all, they had to identify him. Um, one of the things that that we couldn't—they couldn't really figure out—is without being able to squawk 7700 on on the uh, transponder, and without knowing where the ident button was, they were trying to talk him through some of those things. He was—they were coming in from the Bahamas, and they had to identify him first. So once they figured out where he where he was that's where the ATC was trying to talk him through getting some uh, frequencies in there changing over to frequencies talking to somebody else but ultimately they actually gave him a phone number to call and the phone number was to Palm Beach approach Um, and I believe that's how they ended up getting the airplane down but um, as the video is ending we'll just go around the horn here uh Rob now you said you've got some time in the caravan right
5: well, the, yeah, I do, and and the caravan it's it's a turbine powered airplane, so it's a jet engine connected to a propeller. But inside, it looks very much like a, uh, a Cessna two hundred six, uh, which is just a big stretch Cessna, and it, it's a heavier airplane, but it's it's very nice to fly, uh, and of course, it doesn't uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of tricks behind it. Uh, there, there are some. Occasional issues that the pilots have walked into when it gets into icing, but uh, that's not something that happens a whole lot where where this took place um, but again it's it's a nice airplane to fly. There are thousands of them out
3: there flying and Rob, you're a former controller what uh, what would, what do you think was going through the controller's mind at the time I think um,
5: if if you have a controller. Who is in? I mean, in the old days when I was a controller, it was uh, it was very common for uh, the the controllers to be pilots. Uh, it's not so much anymore. Uh, and to have one that was an instructor, I mean, the last tracón I worked in, there were uh, two, three, there were four of us that were instructors. So, I mean, it 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 gives you the ability to to imagine being in the right seat, saying, "Okay, hang on a second. Take a deep breath. First of all, don't panic. Just what's the airplane doing right now? I don't know if it was on autopilot or if he was hand flying it or or what exactly. My guess is it's probably on autopilot, uh, which gave them a little uh, breathing space. Jeff, you know something I don't.
4: Go ahead. Well, no, you you go ahead. And I'll 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 take over I, from again, you again.
5: I'm only guessing because I mm-hmm. I you know it's uh, again the visibility out the window would have been would have been grand. Uh, it wasn't in the clouds. Uh, and again, when, when the airplane's not pitching and rocking and rolling, it's a little easier to keep somebody calm. Uh, but again, I don't know. I'd like to hear the conversation between the controller and the, uh, I mean, all of it, uh, you know, where the uh, controller may have tried to figure out what the pilot's capabilities were, uh, which was pretty easy. He didn't have any capabilities, uh, but he certainly could follow instructions. And uh, I, I mean, I think that's what really uh, ma- you know made the day because he didn't panic, and he did what he was told. And boy, that that landing back at uh, was it West Palm that he landed? Yes. At? Yeah, I mean, man, I, I that's that's a great landing. It's not a bad
1: uh, landing, is it? I mean, it doesn't look new. like that's the first time he's done it.
4: No. <laughs> I've had worst worse landings at uh, Palm Beach International myself.
2: <laughs> here's, here's the important thing. That I, when I was first starting to transition to the jets, um, I, I struggled because it's completely new and it's different and you're doing something you've never done before. And my instructor used to tell me, fly it like a Cessna. Just go back to the basics and, and relax and just fly. It's an airplane. It's going to do what it's going to do. And I think in this case you know we're all experienced pilots or flyers and the most important thing is to go back to those basics and i think the controller did a really good job in explaining to this person okay you're going to do this and you're going to do that and then you know next step next step next step um back to the basics which just reminded me flight like a Cessna so whenever you're in trouble fly it like a Cessna
0: yeah one of the uh one of the things that i do when, when I was flying for civil air patrol was using the right terminology and the right verbiage, um, flying cadets. Right. And John Jester's in the chat room. Um, he was there with me and has flown hundreds of cadets, um, where you have to change the way you speak to, hey, maybe pull back or left hand down or right hand down or, hey, look at the horizon. Look, is there the same amount of distance between the left wing and the right wing? And you have to remove all the technical jargon out of it, which, you know, the controllers did a great job. But, Jeff, go ahead.
4: Okay, as amazing as all the stuff that we've talked about and what they've emphasized uh, on the video coverage and news coverage, something that has been left out, which I think is very critical Uh, about 52 nautical miles south, southeast of Fort Pierce. And I'm reading from one of the uh, news sources, the aircraft's pilot told the two passengers on board that he wasn't feeling well. He then collapsed, pushing the yoke forward. The aircraft immediately entered a very steep dive from 10,000 feet and around 154 knots of ground speed. It got to 6,200 feet and an alarming 295 knots uh, ground speed. So the aircraft lost nearly 4,000 feet in a half a minute. 4,000 feet in 30 seconds. Fortunately, the passenger, I don't know how, managed to pull the turboprop out of the dive without overstressing it. Gosh, that's amazing. that happened before any contact was made with air traffic control. So I mean, that, I, is it and, and that's the thing that's just amazing to me that uh, hasn't been. And I guess maybe to the general public, that's not a that's not a, a thing, you know, or a big deal. But the other thing I wanted to mention is the printout that the CFI slash air traffic controller printed out. Of course, this airplane's been around for a while. There are many, many different cockpit layouts and configurations, and. He, they had no idea at that time uh, to know what the configuration of that cockpit was. What he printed out was the old six-pack, uh, the old mm-hmm. traditional uh, classic kind of a layout. What they indeed found out after the fact is that this is a much more modernized cockpit with the G1000 and the screens and everything else. So, uh, and again, that just kind of uh, tells you how uh, how much of an, a miracle it really was that he was able to convey any useful information to this to this pilot and as mila said back to basics and that's what he did
1: i mean do you think possibly though uh, it's like one of the i mean i wouldn't ha- obviously have the first clip i mean because i've i've other than like having been lucky enough to sit next to armando and and uh while he's been flying i mean he's allowed me to like hold the controls and you know wiggle them a bit um but like it, do you think it's like possibly like we've all seen enough tv programs and enough like sort of some kind of basic instinct where you know you've got to at least pull the lever up a bit. You know, you've got to pull it, like, towards you in order to make it, you know, and he just got lucky and it came out of the dive. But, I mean, is that perhaps why he managed to sort of... Because, I mean, really, that should have been curtains from, from that point onwards almost but you know he was lucky enough to to come up with some kind of like i don't know an idea to try and get himself out of that muddle and then was able to i mean the other thing i'm quite impressed by is working out how to talk to people on the radio because that's not straightforward yeah that's one of the things
0: that i was thinking about matt is how do you even find the push to talk button it's just labeled ptt yeah like You'd, the average person doesn't know what PTT means.
4: I think that he was used to um, probably sitting up in that front seat, that right seat in the front of that airplane. And he had been around enough and wearing the yeah. aviation headsets enough to know how to do that sort of thing. So, and so
1: a clock, that was the button he was pressing when when he was talking to, to towers right. and things like that. And just luckily happened to be on the right frequency, I guess.
4: Another thing in this uh, article I was reading regarding the initial um, emergency when the Pilot passed out. Essentially, mm. is that um, it said that the in addition to all of this, he had another challenge: the autopilot, and the dive and turn meant that the aircraft had turned to a southern heading initially around 160 degrees, and it was soon after this that the passenger contacted air traffic control, informing them of the situation, and they were 9,100 feet. But he soon added that all my electronics want me uh, want to make me roll. This suggests that the autopilot of the Cessna was still on. And oh. trying to turn the Cessna back towards Fort Pierce, fighting the passenger. So oh. I guess you've kind of figured out how to how to deactivate the autopilot, is, apparently.
3: Yeah.
1: So p- perhaps we don't have enough information here. No, perhaps I think there's
4: days. more information to be learned yeah. from this.
0: Indeed. Well, I'm thinking this, this gentleman is going to be probably on national news at some point telling his story. And mm. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait for the movie. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that that is a good point. Well, starring Armando Carrion. Yeah, absolutely. I think as the slumped over pilot. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll be the slumped over pilot because I'm the old guy (laughs) with the gray hair. You'll be the hero passenger pilot.
0: Uh, We'll leave that to Matt. We'll leave that to Matt. I actually have full faith in Matt that he could pull an airplane out of a dive and land it. Anyway. Uh, Matt, let's go on. Terribly to the next misguided
1: story, and misplaced, I think, is, is probably <laughs> the best way to do that. We'll move on to the next story then. Uh, story two uh, TravelDailyMedia.com is where this one comes from. And the headline is Vueling becomes the first airline to sell flights to the metaverse. I don't even know what that is. Hopefully, it will become <laughs> clear. Vueling, an airline owned by IAG. Now, they're the people that own BA as well, aren't they, IAG? Is that right? Correct. Excellent. Thank you. Ha! <sighs> uh will anyway they will open a new sales channel in the metaverse again whatever that is Uh, the (laughs) new channel will be up and running before the end of the year and everything purchased in the metaverse will be usable in the real world Okay, there's some clues in that, I think, and will be the same as physical airline tickets. This is an airline first, with Viewling becoming the first carrier to announce the sale of flights via the Metaverse. Uh, to enable this development, Vueling has partnered with Next Earth, the third largest platform available in the Metaverse, by a number of users, more than 230,000 users and 45,000 virtual owners. From Net Earth, the user will be able to visualise real-world journeys and the carbon footprint of each stage as well as select and book the best modes of transport for each moment. Furthermore the airline has joined an alliance with the Spanish startup Lomob a uh, shared mobility platform which offers transport companies and mobility service through just one integration uh, I- iomob which has a presence in more than 270 cities has, uh, has been briefed to uh, create a specific app for viewing um, usable in the next earth metaverse which in addition to flights will offer last mile transportation services i.e E-scooters, scooters, scooters, Uber, public transport, etc. The uh, Monzo, who is Vueling's distribution strategy and alliances manager, says the objective is to take advantage of technology and virtual environments such as the metaverse to offer an increasingly richer, simpler, and more personalised experience to our customers when planning trips. So that's the story. I'll be honest, not a great deal of it means any sense to me I'm assuming that this uh multiverse is some kind of
4: sort of virtual world almost essentially it, where where tickets yes exactly so do what you remember is. second life back in 2003 <laughs> yes, do you, re- yes do you remember do you recall that uh, yes, virtual world I yeah do. that's yes, oh, that's yeah. what the metaverse is right okay it's just a modernized version of it I guess a new version of it I mean want yeah, to... A-
0: it's a virtual reality sort of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's been talking about this where it's basically in a, a fully immersive cyberspace that that people go to. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, Milo is uh, the youngest one out of all of us, so. Yeah, true.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh it's a uh, I mean, I I'm, I'm going to go to Rob first if I may. Uh is this something you'll be using?
5: <laughs> <laughs> you you thought you didn't know much about it. I mean, uh, my my daughter's home from California, kind of uh, helping her old dad uh, get his act back together, and and I I look at the things that she watches on on the telly, and it's just I I I see weird people. I'm sorry, weird looking to me, talking about topics that I can't even imagine. I still think uh, the uh, cryptocurrency is a big <laughs> I don't, I don't ponzi think, scheme but i don't think you're alone you know, there to be fair <laughs> i it's uh and so you know when i hear things like this i i think okay that's uh that's really great um <laughs> Uh, This is bound to
3: fail. I've just got to tell you, this is bound to fail because basically, viewing is selling on a platform that's designed for people who are afraid, selling travel on a platform that's designed for people who are afraid to leave the house. So, how could yeah. it
4: possibly work? Not as good as it sounds ridiculous <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. Well, they sell yeah. the tickets, though, so, Micah, and then they never show up. So, it, yeah, it's a win win for a
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, so, I guess, I mean, like, so, Myla, I mean, please, please help me explain how I think. I mean, I can't get my, I, I genuinely okay. can't get my head around this. It's like, um, is this just, is it a gimmick?
2: Well, there's, there's, all right. Imagine. Uh, we've got the internet, right? And we've heard of that. Yes, podcast. yes, I'm, go- I'm good with that. Yes, uh, we're making a podcast, so we are creating content. Yep. Now, if you use a virtual reality world, so you you put on the glasses and you go into this world, this universe, um, people can also start to make content. It can be visual content. You can make um, uh, um, like like trees or forests, or it can be any kind of content, and you could sell this. To somebody else right uh, you could make uh, clothes for your avatar to wear or you can make music or or graphics or anything and you can sell that stuff so basically you're creating a platform that allows you to create some sort of financial interaction as well as engage with others and then if you start making money off of this, for example, you're a storyteller, you, still, you tell a story in some form on this platform where you create a game that people can play or something like this. Then, of course, you could um, uh, monetize this and then that goes straight into your bank account. Now, at the end of the day, you take that take the virtual reality glasses off, that money is still going to be in your bank account because you have created something that other people can buy. And then you could, of course, use that money to buy a flag. Wow.
1: Okay, so Um, Neil Lamourne's got a great comment in the chat room here. He's saying, uh, so now you can queue up at security for four hours, but virtually. I think that's lovely. (laughs) Uh
0: Well, speaking of the chat room, I'm with Rick Bell on this one, because if we're flying airplanes in, the cy- in cyberspace and the multiverse, isn't that where, like in Spider-Man and, and <laughs> Doctor Strange, like that? not that where all the villains always go to attack the airplanes in the air in the movies? So I don't want to buy a ticket on a viewing virtual airliner, because it's going to get attacked by a flying spider.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not the way forward, is it? I don't know. Um, Jeff, any comments?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, I remember Second Life and how everybody was excited about that. And I see the same future for Metaverse. But maybe I'm just being an old old fart. <laughs>
0: That's what they said
1: about the compact disc also, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get not don't, don't. It's just like, I see, I'm, I'm old enough here to say, because every, everybody was asking uh, me when, uh, when they released, I think it was the, um, uh, the, the Philips, um, what was it? The, oh. the Philips DAT tape or the Sony mini display, because basically whichever one I bought, it was going to be obsolete by Easter.
4: Yeah. You know?
1: mm. <laughs> but, you know,
4: what's wrong with actually getting out in the world and interacting with like real people? Or real trees. Yeah,
1: real trees. Real
0: airplanes.
2: Real trees? First, we had yeah. radio, right? So, yeah. first, we had radio, and then somebody introduced television. And we were like, yeah, but you could just still read a book.
1: Oh, uh, you, see, I you don't see the connection there. She
2: makes and a good point. We got the computers and internet. And now we've got like,
1: you see the, the po- next. You see, the problem we have here, Myla, <laughs> um, and I'm sure everybody agrees with me, is what Myla's doing here is she's applying logic here uh (laughs) that's clearly where where we shouldn't be doing that i mean hey if it works for people great but uh
3: yeah i'm out
1: if i if i was in dragon's den i'd be out
3: (laughs) i finally got rid of four of my five vhs players i still have one if anybody needs it i have two dat machines if you need a dat machine oh my goodness Uh, i've got uh two three cd players and jeff's been to my house i you've seen it i've got over a thousand cds uh that's not to mention the 600 lps that are in the that i oh, haven't played do you so, love a bit of vinyl you know just the way it goes
0: <laughs> well myla why don't you throw us a hand and pull us out of this cyber puddle <laughs> that we've we're wallowing right. in
2: okay <laughs> good. Yes. well the next story is about a woman who got slapped with a hundred pound fine uh it's on the mirror.co.uk which is um, where we go for got, all of
1: our um, um, aviation related news, obviously. <laughs> a tabloid <laughs> I, this has newspaper. has got something to yeah, do yeah, with yeah, aviation, yeah,
2: yeah. I promise. Yeah. Um So she she pulled her car over during a panic attack. And around the airport, there's um, uh, all these no-stop zones. And she got fined £100. 100 pounds. So let me read this to you. A woman was slapped with a £100 pound fine when pulled over outside an airport because she was suffering a panic attack. Her husband has claimed. Annie Amos, 68, pulled over in a no stopping zone when she experienced heart palpitations waiting for her husband, Steve, who's 65, to leave the airport in February. Steve said his wife, Annie, paid for parking at two different places at Bristol Airport and um, Steve, who has cancer and was experiencing severe reactions to radiotherapy, texted his wife to say he had been moved to the front of the plane to be near the toilet. And he started to have a panic attack after receiving the text and was forced to pull over. Steve says she didn't see the signs as she was driving during Storm Franklin Franklin, and her view was obstructed. Her car was picked up by cameras and she was subsequently fined for pulling over in a no stopping zone. So it sounds like she had all the bad luck. And mm. I mean,
1: yes, I suppose there's not really a lot more we can we can say about that story. <laughs> really is <there>? just, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you'd like to think that somebody somewhere in a control room will take, uh, take sort of look at all the details and, um, and uh, yeah, sort of so, l- look at this.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's a little bit more. So mm. as, Steve claims that they didn't hear back from um, Vehicle Control Services when he asked about the appeal process, and um, they won't take into account the extenuating circumstances. Bristol Airport said that as road safety was compromised, they are unable to assist further with Steve and Annie's appeal. So, I mean, that's, that's a tough quite, situation. Man,
1: I mean, it seems very, very harsh, but I suppose that I suppose looking at it from from the flip side here, I mean, this could potentially have been a very huge security risk, for example, to have a vehicle sort of just stopped where it shouldn't be. I guess that could that could be a, a consideration for why they're not willing to to sort of indulge this further. I guess. I mean, the the, the no well, stopping
3: zone is there for a reason, I suppose. Matt, I don't want to change this into parking talk, UK. <laughs> However. <laughs> You know, Brian just got a $100 fine for parking at the Radisson, and it was from a parking camera because the UK uses parking cameras. Mm. And we were parked there in the hotel lot because we were staying there with our handicap placard showing in the window. And we got fined $100 plus $35 for being in a parking place, in a handicap parking place, even though the placard was shown. We were never asked about whether we had a car or not. So they didn't register us there. And there's no way to argue with a parking camera as used in the UK. So, it's just a UK parking thing. Parking cameras get you. You pay the fine. It's just an income yeah. source. Wow. I
0: actually ended up with a 130-pound fine from
3: from Brooklyn's
0: <laughs> from the you? 400th. Yeah, I got it in the mail. What? Yep. You guys and your cameras, man.
1: No heart. What if I was having palpitations? <laughs> 400th episode i was nervous well you know i mean you know we we, you know we we've got we've got a lot going on here in the uk i suppose we have got to pay for it somehow i guess
3: Uh
0: (laughs) well listen rob stepped away for a second micah if you want to take us to story five
3: i will do that this uh comes from uh, the independent and in a week where British Airways canceled another 120-plus flights to and from its main base in London Heathrow, my favorite airport in London, it has emerged that the airline is rejecting compensation claims for grounded flights. BA has serious resourcing issues, which are leading to daily cancellations of many domestic and European flights. You know, I just feel it's not fair for Nev not being here to be able to defend his his favorite airline. The airline says that most passengers are informed well in advance, but if travelers are given less than two weeks' notice under European air passenger rights rules, they are entitled to cash compensation between 220 and 520 pounds, depending on the length of the flight. Boy, I wish that happened in the USA. We could be canceled the day before. We could be canceled two, 10 minutes before, and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> The only grounds on which a carrier can reject... You know, that's what they do with the parking fines. They give them the BA to pay off these pit anyway. <laughs> See what you did yeah. there. The only grounds on which a carrier can reject a claim is if ex- if it's an extraordinary circumstance. Well, Nick, Goodn- Nick, Goodn- Nick, Goodness. <laughs> Nick Goodness was due to fly from London Heathrow to Hanover on 24 April. His flight was canceled with a week's notice, and he applied for the statutory compensation. But... The passenger was told, quote, your claims been refused because flight B.A. 978 on 24 April was canceled as a result of the global pandemic caused by COVID-19. I just got to say that makes no sense to me. I arrived on February 28th. The mask rule was already gone. The pandemic was over. So- <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I know. what you mean. <laughs> yeah. It is not, quote, continued, it is not inherent in the normal activity of the airline and could not have been anticipated since the cancellation of the flight was caused by restrictions imposed as a result of a global pandemic in accordance with the provisions of EC regulation 261-2004, I'm afraid this means you are not entitled to receive EU compensation for the, on this occasion. Lawyers contacted the independent, expressed skepticism, uh, contacted by the independent, expressed skepticism over this British Airways defense. Staff shortage is not regarded as an extraordinary circumstance, which is exactly my thought. The claim that the cancellation of a flight was due to restrictions imposed as a result of a global pandemic looks difficult to sustain, one legal expert said. On the day Mr. Goodness had his flight canceled, dozens of other services operated between the UK and Germany. So anyway, British Airways says, we're sorry that in this case, we incorrectly denied compens- a compensation claim and we're contacting our customer to apologize and resolve the matter. A spokesperson for the Civil Aviation Authority said, if customers are concerned that airlines are not upholding their rights appropriately, then they should complain to their airline. Yeah, that really helped here. And if they are not satisfied, ah, if they are not satisfied with the response, consumers can seek redress via the approved alternative dispute resolution, AVRs service. Well, I got a question for Jeff on this one.
0: As, as the captain of a flight, are you worried at all about um, other than the safety of the passengers about the airlines policies or the FAA's policies on cancellations and reimbursement and money? Is that, is that in your cross check when you're delayed?
4: Uh, No, (laughs) I'm not concerned at all because it's, it's not something that is part of my decision-making process. Um, It's all, that's all separated from my job of safely transporting passengers from point A to point B.
0: Yeah, and, and Micah, Rob, we we do have rules. This is, uh, this is not; we this doesn't apply to the corporate side. So, but we do have rules here in the U.S. about about extended delays, right? Three, four hour delays, and or is that just a job? I know the Europeans haven't.
5: Yeah, three hour ramp delay was the last I heard, but that's that's mm-hmm. pretty old. That may have changed. Uh, Still but, the same in yep. In terms of uh, you know what what the captain can do, I mean, if you've got somebody on board who is uh, or about to be on board that's really upset, uh, you know you want to keep an eye on them because you don't want you don't want this uh, uh, customer service issue to blow up into something that it didn't need to be. And most customer service issues do blow up because somebody says, "Well, you know what? that's the rule." Uh, and you know, if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but take it up with the, uh, uh, department (laughs) and, uh, and honestly, let's face it. Most people don't complain. Uh, I think maybe this last few years, people have gotten better at, uh, at at complaining or let's just say not complaining, but just showing dissatisfaction or, or perhaps, uh, not believing what they're being told that uh, this is the way it is, uh, and uh, but it, you know the, the aviation business is a tough one, and and when you have so many carriers that that uh, you know each have their own uh, their own system, uh, although they're operating under you know more a broader uh, government guidelines, um, it's enough to make anybody crazy, and um, but again you know I agree with Jeff uh, that's a long. Answer to a short story, but no, I mean it's it's not usually the cockpit crew's uh, problem.
1: And and I guess from from my perspective here, uh, looking at it from from um, like a media perspective, I mean BA of late have had a real. Rough time in the media here because it's. I mean, their IT problems, for example, have been dogging them for you know constantly. I mean, I mean, if we go back to the 400th, for example, there were people that couldn't come because of an IT issue, uh, and they couldn't. They literally, because they rely heavily on the digital manifest, they literally couldn't get these planes in in the in the air uh, and things like that. And so it's just been one thing after another. And I know, of course, I mean, BA aren't alone here, are they? In terms of having issues uh, with with crew levels and things like that things on you know a lot of airlines are struggling aren't they to to uh, to get these planes uh, in the air because they, they are short on staff there's no two ways about that um but well, I, uh, I don't
0: think i don't think we talked about it on the show but i saw an article that american airlines is starting to use buses and yeah. and some other airlines are starting to use buses on some short routes um because there's such a pilot shortage mm. and listen i don't i don't want to plug any other podcasts on this show but jeff i was actually listening to the apg um, a couple of weeks ago when you were talking about how your passengers were surprisingly understanding when you had a bunch of delays you, you had, uh, you know, an airplane that was broken and then dispatch and then the maintenance took the airplane from you um, and that you're that you were surprised and pleased at how understanding the passengers were on that trip, weren't you?
4: Yes, I was. And I think uh, a big part of that is that from the very beginning, I communicated with the passengers before they even boarded the aircraft because we had an issue that delayed boarding. And so I went out to the gate area and addressed the passengers and explained what was happening and what I thought was going to happen. And that was going to be resolved. And that was the word that I got from the um, mechanics. And sure enough, uh, they gave us the green light. We boarded the aircraft. And honestly, I thought the mechanic, when he stepped in right literally before the door was closed by the agent, and he was, I felt a presence on my right shoulder and I Hello, uh, may I help you? And he says, yeah, uh, we changed our mind, Captain. We're uh, unfortunately going to have to take the uh, airplane offline. And I'm thinking, he's got to be kidding me after all this yeah. and now. And so anyway, uh, the point of this is that I continued to communicate with the passengers uh, you know, often and told them the truth about everything. And I think that went a long way uh, when we finally got the new airplane and we finally got them up to – Uh, Let's see, where were we going? Um, White Plains, New York, an hour late arrival. And uh, I really, you know, especially New York passengers, I thought they would be kind of upset that Mm. they didn't get there on time. And they were actually all smiling and thanking us for uh, making safety our uh, first priority. So yeah, I was pleasantly surprised.
5: Yay! No, seriously. I, I mean, I I I see this all the time in, in in other customer service areas, and and people think it's astounding that you you actually told them what was going on, mm-hmm. so that they could see that it wasn't just you personally, the guy in the left seat that's just making their life annoying, or or some. Some computer whiz down in, in dispatch you know and and honest to god, I think people will almost always work with you if you if you just talk to them, say guys look i'm I am really sorry i'm I'm as upset about this as you are we're doing everything we can um, you know we'll you know I, I don't know what uh, how often you can uh, order uh, i'm sorry there's, Lawnmower flying by out here. Uh, but, uh, ah, life. Take, take no notice of the lawnmower. Uh, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, people like to know okay, he's just one of us. He's doing the best he can. Mm. Well, you know, we can't expect miracles. Stuff breaks, weather happens. Uh, and, and again, but so many, and Jeff, you know this as well as I do. And, and uh, Armando, you're learning it, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> There are a no, lot of Armando crews. Armando knows everything. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I won't. I I won't make that mistake again. Um, okay, but uh, but you know that there are crews that are lousy communicators. Mm. Yeah, they just lousy. They go, hey, I can fly the pants off this airplane, but talk to the people. Uh, I mean, I've got a friend that flies for FedEx, and and Pete always said that's why I went to FedEx because mm. I turn left, close the door, maybe. Uh, but you know, boxes don't ask for anything. No, but- and, uh, and there are people that love flying, but hate talking to people. That's mm-hmm. why th- these people don't want to be corporate pilots because yeah. you are, you are in the wrong game. And that's why I spent most of my time was in corporate. You've got to be able to talk to people, uh, because you're handling so many of the moving parts that the airline people uh, handle for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, You know, the catering's wrong. Guess what? What did you you. order? I see what I could. And
3: and then there are those people that hate flying and hate talking to people, and they hang out in the metaverse. Naked well, drinking wine.
1: Yeah, drink. yeah, we've got we've got a I comment in the chat room. There's a just very quickly there is a comment in the chat room here from Alex Robinson. He says on my recent flight out of Manchester, bag drop and security took so long. I was actually relieved to have a delay <laughs> due to a crewing issue. Which is uh, yes, we in the UK. We're having problems in terms of security as well. I mean, and there are stories after stories of people missing their flight because uh, they haven't been able to get through security in time. So essentially, what we're saying is it's not. Um, It's not an exclusive problem to BA, I suppose, here in the UK or
5: indeed around the world, I think, at the moment. No, I read a story a couple of weeks ago about this when uh, Southwest was going through some issues because we've had Southwest and a few other other American went through it. And they said some of these scheduling systems are so old, uh, Mm. they should have been upgraded a long time ago. But, you know, when... Airlines are doing well when companies are doing well, uh, and things are flowing smoothly. They go, "Hey, man, just keep keep bringing in the cash." And then yep. when something breaks, you go, oh, my God. Now what you know, do we do? Right
1: yeah, around. absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've essentially, in a nutshell, described BA's current IT situation. I think that's the, that's the thing. <laughs> anyway, we better move on because, as I say, we're only at story number six, and we're already running out of time. Who would have thought that was likely today? Uh, Jeff, hmm. you have the next story, I think.
4: Yes, from flightglobal.com. Tibet Airlines A319 suffered massive damage in a runway excursion. Uh, Further details, including eyewitness accounts uh, and images showing aircraft damage, have emerged following the Tibet Airlines Airbus A319 runway excursion at China's Chongqing Zhengbei. International Airport. I think you did this on purpose, just so you hear me try to explain pronunciation. Thank you. Of course, it was the (laughs) aircraft's entire left side. CFM International CFM56 is shown completely, completely. completedly. That that must be a UK version of the yeah uh, a UKism. Yeah, is it really? Okay, (laughs) I thought it was just a typo. No, (laughs) it's not. it's (laughs) a typo. It is a typo. Okay, Uh, is shown completely ripped away from the wing, and the aircraft's landing gear has collapsed. The forward part of the left side fuselage is severely charred social media footage had shown the left wing on fire as passengers escaped in addition the a319's fuselage is cracked after the wing the forward fuselage near the nose wheel is also stoved in um new term for me one video shows Dozens of passengers exiting from the main left-side door as a blaze builds up under the aircraft's port wing. Slides were deployed from the left-side emergency exit over the wing as well as from the left rear door. One image shows that the left-side overwing emergency exit was opened, but apparently left in place. The left-side main door is also open, but it appears as if the slide was not deployed. The A319 was due to operate Flight 9833 to Ningqi, On the morning of 12 May, when it aborted its takeoff and veered off the runway before bursting into flames, Tibet Airlines says all 113 passengers and nine crew were evacuated safely, with close to 40 suffering minor injuries and needing medical attention. Investigations led by the Civil Aviation Administration of China are ongoing. Uh, early images of the accident show the aircraft's right rear uh, rear right-hand door opened with the slide deployed, but the forward right-hand door and overwing emergency exit appeared closed. Uh, I don't know if you are uh, haven't been paying attention, if you've been showing any uh, images at all, mm-hmm. Matt. But the um, the airplane uh, it, it, they did a nice thing; they, they sheared off all the. Uh, landing gear and engine so that the, uh, airplane is just basically resting on the bottom of its fuselage and the wing. So it wasn't a big jump really didn't even need slides, honestly, <laughs> no, that's uh, true. to, yeah. uh, exit from the, uh, aircraft and, uh, yeah, it, um, Ended up uh, veering to the left of the runway, uh, passing over a couple of parallel taxiways and a crossing runway before it came to stop. So uh, it was uh, probably uh, quite a wild ride for the passengers indeed and scary times of
1: course i suppose that 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 is genuinely i mean they, people quite often sort of say you know what is it that the, the, that makes you nervous about flying and things like that ironically that is one of the things that that does pop into your mind as a nervous flyer um and sometimes i almost wish you know social media didn't exist because you could sort of live in mm. you know bliss if you like that these things don't actually happen right well,
0: from a from a piloting standpoint, um, Rob, I'd love to take your get your take on this, but I, you know, I, I had uh, ten hours in this in the A three twenty sim um, down at uh, Acme Airlines actually, and it, the a rejected takeoff for an engine failure is actually pretty violent if you're not expecting it. I mean, you go into the sim and you're expecting it, and you know it's going to come at some point, and you may even know which sim session it is it's going to be at. But if you've just flown for you know years and years without ever having an issue, and that that rejected takeoff happens because of an engine failure, it's going to catch you by surprise, which which could have been right. Speculating, uh, the case in this situation, um, yeah. Rob, have you got experience with uh,
5: aircraft like this? Uh, not uh, not actually rejecting the takeoff. Uh, other than in, in initial or, or recurrent training, but again, and that's the problem with training is that no matter how how well it's structured uh you can almost never eliminate that that uh, that wow factor that holy molys i mean and and that's what that's what happens in real life uh mm-hmm. you know can, can we handle a oh yep yeah, v one cut okay you know uh full power you know kick okay, gears. Uh, at positive rate, okay, gear up. We're gonna, you know, pitch is going to be so and so. But then on top of it, see, you briefed for all this. If we lose one, you know, after after V uh, V one, we're going to do blah 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 blah. And the person in the other seat knows exactly what what the next steps are going to be. Uh, but again, when you have a rejected takeoff, those are incredibly violent maneuvers, uh, especially if the uh, if the pilot. Uh, has passed the. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. This is really noisy <laughs> back here. Uh, and I'm, I'm flying along the uh, interstate for lawnmowers here. Um, <laughs> but again, if the, if the uh, cat, you know, if either pilot who's flying is not ready for it, holy smokes. I mean, you, it's, there's the decision time of holy smokes, something is happening. Mm. Oh my God, we've got to stop. You know, you've got to haul back on the throttles. Uh, you've got to, you know, hopefully if you had uh, uh, automatic braking, it's already kicking in. Uh, and But but again, and then you've got to keep the airplane straight. Uh, there's many things to think about. Uh, and j- as they say in um, some of the training I've been through, you, you better pay attention because just because you've only been trained to this level of of, let's say, emergency or difficulty doesn't mean that nature is required to throw you a problem that only matches the level of your training. Mm. Uh, you may be, you may be thrown a problem that, that is, would be tough for two people to cope with, but that's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. the job and you do the best you can.
4: Beyond, yeah, the, scope, uh, the, beyond the scope of your training, uh, that's when it's uh, dangerous and you're put to your Test to use all your skills and an eyewitness account reported by the local media, uh, from a passenger surnamed Zhao suggests that there were two explosions that occurred right before the runway excursion. So yeah, talked about startle factor there. Uh, I'm sure that it was, uh,
1: I mean, yeah, of course, course What well, hopefully what it will have done, though, is made sure that everybody got off the aircraft as efficiently as they could. And, of course, they will have absolutely left their little suitcases behind and just... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm sure it was well, a very I was, uh, dignified I was departure. Purposely,
0: <laughs> I was purposely skipping Jeff on this article because between the uh, 727, the Mad Dog, <laughs> and the 717, the only way he knows that an engine is out is when the flight attendant comes up and says, hey, it's getting a little warm out here. Can you turn the air conditioning up?
4: <laughs> that's true like,
0: wow it's all they're so me.
4: far back right <laughs> <laughs> Jeff oh, wait, wait, wait wait that's not fair <laughs> that's Jeff not fair. You're, you're going through recurrent
3: training this week uh mm-hmm. do you find that it's something that that, that really does help you and improve your flying skills and and have you dealt with I mean you've been flying commercially and flying passengers you know in commercial airliners for the past 200 years have you dealt with rejected mm-hmm. takeoffs
4: oh 200 years thank you um <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, honestly, it's really hard to uh, improve my skills. Uh, They're at such a high level. I I mean, that that goes, that's
1: obviously a given. I mean, mean, that that really goes without saying, (laughs) doesn't it?
4: No. Yes, it's very, it's very useful uh, because all the pilots here can attest to the fact that there are things that we do in the simulator uh, every six months, nine months, a year, depending on your airline cycle, that you will hopefully never have to experience in real life. And just going through that every, for me, nine months is great, and so that uh, if it does actually occur in real life, uh, I'll I'll be somewhat ready for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there's uh, it's it's hard to estimate how much of a factor the startle effect is going to be, and each situation is going to be different. But you're just hoping that that training is just embedded in your yeah. into your your skill set yeah, almost, like take almost like muscle mm-hmm. memory almost like muscle memory exactly. isn't
1: it? one of those sort of things it's like this is happening you just go into uh, actually excuse the pun autopilot <laughs>
0: I, I actually want to hear from micah or not micah myla on this one um from your experience in training and the atp and the turboprops
2: yeah so um for me it was very useful uh i've had several situations which were under a control uh like a rejected takeoff but a controlled rejected takeoff where we said okay we already see engine temperatures are high if we reach a certain uh limit we're gonna reject the takeoff and so it was pre-discussed and still executed very calmly not a problem at all um but i've also been in a situation where it was very unexpected and i realized like oh we've Trained for this, it is different, but still, I can use this, this, this and this to help make the situation as positive mm. as possible. Um, I was flying cargo airplane and we ended up with smoke in the cargo bay. Now, when you fly cargo, of course, uh, and you get smoke, anything could be on fire and it could really rapidly um, get out of hand. Uh, thankfully, in this occasion, it didn't, but we did did declare a mayday. And in that moment, you go through whatever you practice, but you also try and practically do the best you can because, you know, you're going to miss things. You know, you're going to maybe, you know, the situation is different than the exact scenario in the simulator, but still you. Um, you, you kind of rationalize the situation. Mm. So because you had this training in the simulator, you know, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. And all those things are going to help me make this into a a, a good outcome. Um, and after, after that May Day, I sat down with the captain as well and we had a conversation about it and we said, well, anybody could have uh, told you how you should have done it. Um, but we decided to do what we did and it is it is good we can be proud of ourselves and no matter what anybody else says we did the right thing so and then you see that yes scenarios are different from the simulator but the training really really helps especially for your mindset because it just helps you keep calm i bet yeah
0: and and you know what this relates right to our our next story talking about training and simulators and habit patterns and um Assertiveness. Um, This next story is from avweb.com. And I I did want to make sure that we give everyone a little bit of time um, to comment on this one. Republic Airlines is seeking an exemption from the 1500 hour rule here in the United States. Um, The airline just said that it wants to open the uh, flight deck door to more underrepresented demographics and that it wants the FAA to meet it halfway In terms of pilot experience, the airline also says that it can safely put a new pilot in the right seat of its airliners under the supervision of a trained and experienced captain at 750 hours instead of the currently mandated 1500 hours. There was a quote that said the Republic restricted ATP program is designed to make airline pilot career opportunities more accessible for qualified individuals from underrepresented groups who meet the selection criteria but may not have the financial means or academic support to pursue an aviation career path. The airline said that in its pitch to the FAA for an exemption to the current rule. Right now, the main exemption to the 1500 hour rule is one that allows military pilots to get an ATP at 750 hours. Republic says that its restricted ATP program uh, run through its company-owned Lyft Flight Academy matches or exceeds the training standards for new military pilots and is better tailored to the airliner environment. Right. Bold statement. Um, <laughs> it also says that the program would be far less expensive and time consuming for new pilots, thus making it more accessible
1: so can so obviously as as basically the only one here who is uh will will say rubbish at aviation i don't really know quite what there's a there's a lot of stuff in there that i don't really understand so um if i can ask some questions first before we launch into the discussion so what explain to me what the 1500 hour rule is at the moment and um what is this exemption all about um, so I'm let
2: actually Let
3: Mila explain that because she's just gone through this. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Well, but, but it's um, different in,
4: the, in Europe. Yeah, they don't have the same yeah, rules so, as we so, have. But,
2: but, but there's also uh, commonalities, right? So when you get your flight pilot license, there's three stages. The first one is the private pilot license. Yep. Then the commercial pilot license. And then your ATPL or your airline transport pilot flight.
3: license. Yeah.
2: Um, the first one, the par- private pilot license, I think you need 70 hours. Yeah. Or, okay. I'm, I'm not quite sure about the hours, but this allows you to fly any small airplane under 5,700 kilos and you can be the operator of this okay. airplane by yourself.
1: And actually, um, for, for, for reference from my perspective, that's essentially what Carlos is doing at the moment. He's doing that that first
2: f- yeah. phase
1: of, yeah. of like yeah, yeah. becoming a private yeah. and, and pilot.
2: Through all no matter what kind of training this is all you're going to go through these steps
3: right right? yep okay um
2: and then eventually uh you can get your um uh cpl your commercial pilot license and this allows you to do work as a pilot and then um the airline pilot license you would need to have 1500 hours for this so in up in order to operate um, um A jet, for example, you would need to have these 1,500 hours. Um, In Europe, you can have what's called a frozen ATPL, which means you do all the theoretics for your ATPL, but not the flying part yet. So you have a commercial pilot's license, and then you can also fly the jet as a second-in-command. And then once you reach your 1,500 hours, you can become a captain. But in the United States,
1: so, so with in terms of of that, um, when you're second in command, um, that still counts towards the hours that you're building up, even though you're second in command.
2: Not, not uh, um, completely. So it counts towards your total hours, okay. but it doesn't count towards your command hours. Right. And command hours are hours which you do from. Uh, the left seat which count towards your captaincy basically so to speak so if you're flying an airplane that only requires one pilot you would be the pilot in command right um, and you could build those hours if you're flying an airplane that requires a multi-crew then you would be second in command and you would only be able to build command hours if you have a special training captain with you.
1: okay So, so in terms, so that that's that's essentially how the system works here in Europe, yeah. So perhaps I could now defer to either Armando or Jeff. So what? So how does that differ um, in the U.S.? So that's the system here we have uh, in in Europe, and I believe, as far as I'm aware, that's still the case here in the UK. I know things are a bit strange at the moment, but as far as I'm aware, it's still the same. So I'll
0: tell you a little bit about the numbers, but but uh, but I'll um, defer to the other three. Gentlemen, because they, there's a little bit of history with the 1500 hour rules, okay. um, otherwise kind of known as the Colgan rule. But from from the number standpoint, here in the U.S., you need uh, in order to be an airline or a Part 121 first officer or second in command, you need an ATP. Here in the U.S., you can get an ATP at 1500 hours, a smattering of of subcategories in that you have to have a certain amount of cross country time, nighttime, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's these other little exemptions that. Um, military pilots at 750 hours can get, uh, a restricted ATP, right. Um, graduates from a, an approved four year university with about a thousand flight hours can get, uh, an ATP or a restricted ATP at a thousand hours, or if they've completed less, you know, basically less than half of their degree, um, or 60 credit hours, then they can get their restricted ATP at, uh, 1250 hours. Um, so either way it's either uh 1000 for a 4-year degree 1250 for a half a degree or 1500 for everybody else except for military who gets it at 750 and you need that um, not necessarily to apply for the airlines because an airline like like um, Delta Airlines for example they'll issue you your your ATP if you get hired on meeting the minimums but you don't have the actual paper certificate they will issue that certificate as you go through training. Um, so now a little bit of history on the 1500 hour rules. I'll go to, to Micah and Rob.
3: Colgan airlines. You may remember when was that back in 1990s, I believe there was a terrible crash of a Q 400 in Buffalo, New York. It was a flight from Newark. And I think uh, maybe Armando will look that up and guess us a flight number, but uh, it turned out that, that both Pilots were exhausted. They had just commuted for a long distance. They hadn't had any sleep for a long time. They got into a bad situation, and uh, the plane went into a, a, a dive. And uh, they they didn't react in time. The uh, uh, Congress so, two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand
0: nine. It was Colgan Air thirty four oh seven, and it's yeah. interesting. Uh, I'll let you go on, Micah. But the families of Colgan Air. Uh, 3407 victims have actually are actually opposing this uh uh, proposition by um republic airlines
3: go on um um there was a, a a big stink about it as you can imagine it was a terrible crash and uh in my opinion uh Congress acted because they needed to act from a political standpoint and had a knee-jerk reaction saying, we are going to establish this 1,500-hour rule that nobody can fly under 1,500 hours. And there are some very good pilots that may be under 1,500 hours, uh, but and it didn't deal with the circumstances involving really the, the rest that was required quite as much as it needed to be. Um, the one thing I do want to uh, point out about this story in general is that It's uh, really a very, uh, they put a political spin on it by putting on uh, explaining that this will allow for more underrepresented demographics as pilots, which may or may not be true. But really, the reason for this whole exemption is that there's a pilot shortage. And all they want to do is fill that shortage. And by lessening the number of hours, they can get more pilots. And that's my biggest concern uh, with it. I suspect that there are some excellent pilots, and there have been for years with only 750 hours. Um, And I'm sure that it's a question of finding them and, and plugging them in. But this knee-jerk reaction by Congress to just create fifteen hundred hours again didn't solve the problem that was that that took place based on the, the Colgan. And of course the uh, the survivors or or the the families of of that crash are going to oppose this because they think the problem was solved by this. But problem still exists. Jeff, you have, have something to say,
4: obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Thank you. I was going to let Rob go, uh, but uh, if, if you'll um, allow me. Uh, the three things that were major factors in this Colgan crash, uh, um, experience levels, and that was addressed by this 1,500-hour rule, or it was somewhat addressed. Uh, but I think the two most important things that uh, happened in this uh, were uh, lack of good judgment and piloting skills. Uh, and testing and keeping track of failed check rides and that sort of thing, which was uh, not good back in uh, 2009. And uh, hopefully they've they've kind of plugged some of those holes by now. And the other thing, the third thing, fatigue. And you know, Armando mentioned uh, the fact that the fatigue was a major factor here. And honestly, they didn't do anything really, in my opinion, to address that, especially. The, uh, the the issue of people commuting all the way from the West Coast to start a trip on the East Coast and then to fly into some very challenging icing conditions and, uh, and pair that with a captain who had failed many check rides at various airlines along his way. And the second officer, I mean, the first officer was very new and didn't have a lot of experience. I'm not sure what her skill levels or judgment-making uh, skills were, but... Those to me were the most important aspects of the reason for this crash, and what we got out of it basically was the fifteen hundred hour rule, which is quantity, not quality. I
1: mean, I, I, is, I mean, there's potentially an argument, I, I guess, here that you could have uh, a very a very capable pilot with less hours under their belt. Yes. Exactly. And I'd also yeah.
4: like to add to that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Matt. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I, you may have seen me uh, kind of flying my uh, red BS <laughs> flag uh, <laughs> yeah. on this uh, little, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, news um, press release. Mm. Um, Republic says its restricted ATP program run through its company-owned Lyft Flight Academy matches or exceeds the training standards for new military pilots and is better tailored to the airliner environment. I would say, no, it doesn't match or exceed the training standards in the military. I know this because I received that training, and it's uh, it's amazing. The other thing is, I know personally (laughs) someone who was actually an instructor, uh, a student at first and an instructor at this uh, program that Republic runs, and I was just flabbergasted when I asked him, uh, you know, do they really emphasize manual flying skills? And he said, nope. Just a couple hundred feet after takeoff above the ground, we're putting the autopilot on and leaving it on for the entire flight. And I'm saying, uh, what, <sighs> have they explained why they're doing this? I mean, you know, the the uh, NTSB has identified. This is a major, like the number one issue with Mm. airline crashes over the last couple of decades, you know, loss of aircraft control and uh, the the need for manual flying skills. And he said, well, the the company says that this is the way they do it in the airlines. So this is the way we're going to train you.
3: That line about about the equivalency to the Air Force is what you call EE, that's
4: equestrian excrement. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the thing that uh, is uh, amazing to me, the, the a military pilot, even in today's newer, new generation military training, uh, most of the time that they spend flying airplanes is manually controlling the airplane. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of autopilot usage. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're just building those fundamental as, again, going back with what Mila said earlier, fundamentals, the basics. Uh, and that's what you need. And a, pro, a mm-hmm. company that is, put, you know, not pushing pilots to exercise these kind of skills from early on, that is just a recipe for, for disaster. In my opinion,
0: Mm
4: -hmm. I'm concerned about it. I honestly am.
0: Rob, I'd like to get your take on this.
5: Well, it's about time. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry, Rob. I took all your time. No, that's okay. Uh, No, this is, this has been an annoying uh, problem for a long time. For those of us in the industry and and also we do understand. I interviewed uh, two or three different members of uh, family people that, that had you know uh, loved ones on thirty four oh seven, and it was not a fun fun time at all. Uh, and uh, it um, it was so sad to say that. Wait a minute, the the Congress is going to legislate something to. Fix this. Uh, we didn't understand it when it first came to be, because, again, as you said, there's no evidence that people that that uh, were flying that had less than 1,500 hours were were uh, poorer pilots than those that had it. As it, as uh, everybody's mentioned, these two people had way more time than that. So the point was what. It it was uh, politicians, you know, making their their constituents feel good, and um, it's it's a shame because again, those families thought that it's because of this rule that the accident rate has has dropped precipitously over the last ten years, and it has nothing to do with it. It mm. just it just doesn't. And I, I so, you know, I hate to say, well, I think it's crazy, but I think it's crazy. To pull it back now, in order to to m- allow more people to fly, uh, to to solve your staffing issue, uh, let, let's face it: when you know when when the pandemic hit, uh, nobody told the folks in Atlanta or in in Chicago or uh, in uh, in Dallas or whatever that, Hey, you've got to get rid of as many pilots, as many, as much dead weight as you can, Mm -hmm. because uh, we're going to be way over. Uh, And uh, he said, Hey, we're going to do this. It's going to help us out. And Oh, within what, six months they were saying, um, you know, on second thought, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't have offered early retirement to everybody. gotten them off the books and because now we're short of bodies because people are still retiring and and they're trying to manage growth at the same time and you can't have it all no you just can't have it all if you
2: if you look at it from a strictly mathematical point of view regardless of skill level or how good or how bad pilots are in order to get the fifteen hundred hours, you take somewhere between three and five years of flying to reach this if you continuously fly. And the training for an HBL course takes about two or three years. So basically, if you reduce the hours on somebody flying needing to fly fifteen hundred year fifteen hundred hours, basically what you're trying to cover is reducing a five year gap to a three year gap. And if you could you could do that, but the the game in the end would only be two years of training new pilots and then you're going to end up with the same situation and the same problem so for a very very short of, moment of time you're allowing more pilots which is not really the case because you're just moving pilots from one spot in the queue a little bit fur- forward but after that everybody who comes after that is still going to run into the same problem so we're not solving the problem we have right now. We're just shifting a group of people mm-hmm. forward. But then after that, we're going to run into the exact same problem, which is the shortage. And I think it's far more important to address that than to try and cover one gap with another gap.
1: I mean, I, I guess you- I guess playing devil's advocate here with, with, with this 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 thought is is it possibly that they're thinking that in two years' time, if you like, when when this temporary benefit almost comes to an end uh, will we be in a different situation therefore there won't be there'll be more pilots online possibly and maybe some of those who are in retirement have decided to come out but then I suppose you've got the other issue because they'll they'll still need uh, refreshing and things like that I mean uh, perhaps they're banking on the fact that in two years
3: time um, the world will be a slightly different place you know I've got a Mila I'm going to ask you a tough self reflecting question because you're recently in the past couple of years only hit your fifteen hundred hours, so think about yourself when you were at seven fifty did you feel that you would have been capable at that point um, yourself uh, and how, how would how would you have felt about this changing at that time not because you wanted it, but because of your how you would feel about your training and, and, and capabilities?
2: Well, the thing is, I started my hour building on an HP position in Europe. So that's already different, right? Because in Europe, you can start in an airline with only 250 hours. And a lot of people do do that. Um, So I I don't think it's a skill question or a can you do it question. If you have the right person in the left seat and you as an inexperienced person are in the right seat, then anybody can do it. So...
5: That's, that's yeah. absolutely true. I, yeah. I mean, because if you look to one topic we didn't talk about that evolved from not just the Colgan air accident, but uh, all these safety focused discussions around that time was uh, uh, upset prevention and recovery training, uh, which nobody ever did uh, prior to, you know, again, maybe 10, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, It's now required here in the States where uh, people flying for 121 operators uh, must have, and and I don't know how you'd know this better than I, Jeff, but how often you you need to go through that. Is that a recurrent uh, uh, training issue?
4: They've incorporated that into our recurrent training, and it's not every cycle, but maybe every other cycle. Mm. Uh, but uh, and I, I'll say in you know, the Part One Twenty One, Part One Thirty Five world, the civilian world, that I completely agree with you. But again, the military training, you know, upset recovery is something we we learn like yeah. right off the bat because you right. know obviously we're doing a different type of flying mm. uh, where you're more likely to be in a situation where you're going to be uh, considered an, an upset, mm. uh, but yeah, I, I agree, and you know it's funny, Miley. You mentioned, and I think you've you've nailed it. Uh, the the fact that we're just kind of delaying the problem uh, um, for maybe a couple of years, but just today or yesterday, I believe one of the unions, uh, Southwest Airlines, was. Putting out a their governmental affairs uh, committee put out a communication saying that they think that uh, Congress is really close to uh, changing the rule to allow the maximum retirement age to go to sixty seven or sixty eight, and um, a lot of people are saying, uh, okay, so what's, That's just a temporary band aid on the situation, a temporary mm-hmm. fix. All you're doing is extending the 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 root of the problem. You know, you're you're just kind of applying something that's going to help for the short term, but it's not going to be a long-term fix. You're ignoring the issues regarding, you know, how we continue to have this nice, you know, supply of pilots in the, in the chain. But they did it once before, and it had yeah, a positive. right. So well, they- no, it depends on who you talk to, uh, Rob, and you know this. Uh, it didn't really have a great effect for people like me uh, because – you know that these uh, it, it basically stagnated the entire career uh, process for people of my age and younger, and it's all it's all it's doing is stalling everybody else's mm. progress uh, through the through the ranks of the airlines because of this. So yeah. that's true because retirement used
5: to be sixty.
4: Yep, when I was hired in uh, nineteen eighty eight, the age of retirement was sixty. I think it was two thousand seven. They changed the rule to sixty five, mm. and uh, yeah.
0: Well, we'll, well, and I'll say, let Matt. Like I can say uh, sorry. Go on. Sorry, I'll let I'll let Matt uh, work the timing here. But I just have one more, um, I guess, comment is, p- prior to Colgan, um, you could get hired at an airline with a commercial into SIC mm. with a commercial and two hundred and fifty. Correct.
4: I think so. I got hired with a lot more than that. I had a little over two thousand hours, and it was all military. Um, and, but I did not have an airline transport pilot um, license. I had a uh, an ATP written examination, but I had a commercial, basically an equivalency, a commercial license, uh, and based entirely on all my um, military experience. But I did not get an airline transport pilot certificate until I checked out as a captain at Acme mm-hmm. Airlines wow. uh, when I got the seven twenty seven.
1: Wow. Okay. There's a couple of comments in the chat room that I will uh, just take if that's okay with everyone. So uh, uh, Alex Robinson Myler, is uh, agreeing with your comment, saying that you need to teach these airlines some calculus. As Myler is saying, it's all about the rate of training, and and that that is, as you say, it's a, it's a, as I think Jeff was saying, is like literally a band aid on the problem, isn't it? Um, you know, in two years' time, we we we're going to be in this same situation again. Uh, and uh, on the WhatsApp number, Mark has been in touch uh it's uh saying that uh, uh did this uh, they did this in the trucking industry here in the uk to try and cut down on the test and training criteria and he's absolutely right it has resulted in all sorts of problems uh because they did that quite early on in here in the uk because you know everything everybody was having de- everything delivered online weren't they because they weren't allowed to go out of the house and all that kind of thing and suddenly there weren't enough truck truck drivers to do to do the work so they tried to apply a similar system here where you didn't need to do quite so much training to get behind the wheel of these massive 18 22 ton trucks or, or whatever they were and and it has caused it's definitely caused some problems here in the uk so but perhaps the uh, the trucking industry um, could be an example for the aviation is- industry with this one but uh, yeah those uh, those are some great comments in the chat room tonight all round actually to be fair guys you're absolutely on form tonight so thanks for chipping in yeah um
0: you know this is a this is a topic that I I think is going to evolve over the next couple of weeks and months let's see if republic does get the exemption because I, I i have a feeling that we're going to be back uh revisiting this topic but uh hey matt let's do one more commercial
1: story and okay. then
0: we'll move on to the uh caption this
1: okay uh that, that'd be me would it oh right yes okay <sighs> <sighs> right uh <laughs> Uh, I have my own personal views on this, which I'm not going to share, actually. But anyway, uh, news.sky.com is the uh, source that we're coming from. And the headline is mandatory wearing of face masks in airports and on European flights no longer recommended. The wearing of face masks in airports and on European flights is no longer recommended. The European Centre for Disease Protection uh, Prevention and Control has said. The move announced by the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, the EA, ASA or YASA, I believe that's how we. Is that correct? Good enough for me. Good, lovely. And the ECDC that just sounds like a band that plays rock music Uh, (laughs) (laughs) is due to come into force on the 16th of May. Iasa said it hoped that the decision would mark a big step forward in the normalisation of air travel. Both authorities have advised travellers that despite the rule being lifted, face masks remain one of the best protections against COVID-19. Vulnerable passengers have been told they should continue to wear a mask and people should be, uh, be asked to observe so Social distancing in indoor areas. However, airports operators have been advised not to impose any distancing measures if they are likely to lead to a bottleneck, ECDC director Andrea Amon has said. Once the rule has been dropped by the EASA and the ECDC, uh, individual airlines will continue to be able to implement their own requirements. Airlines have been told to encourage passengers to use masks on flights to or from destinations where mandatory mask wearing on public transport is still enforced. Uh, they have also been advised to keep systems for collecting passenger locator forms on standby in case they are needed in future, for example, if a new variant of concern emerges. From next week, face masks will no longer uh, will no longer need to be mandatory in air travel in all cases, broadly aligning with the changing requirements of national authorities across Europe for public transport. EASA Executive Director Patrick Kai has said said. It is a relief to all of us that we are finally reaching a stage in the pandemic where we can start to relax the health and safety measures. In the UK, passengers are advised to check with their travel provider on whether COVID-19 rules are in place. People are also no longer required to complete a UK passenger locator form before they travel uh, or take a COVID test when leaving or entering the country. Now, um, a lot of my uh, colleagues, uh, unfortunately not me, but a lot of my colleagues are all off to France uh next weekend not this weekend coming but next weekend they're all off to France and actually weirdly there 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 is a lot of sort of panicking going on in terms of um of this because um there's lots of very strict rules about your vaccination status and things like that and uh I've been very lucky because I had all I've had all three I had them quite early on um, but some people who are who and admittedly they're all an awful lot younger than me um haven't had their third booster yet and one of the conditions of entering uh France from the u k is that you must have that third um booster, which obviously has caused a bit of a panic and lots of people going and having jabs this week in fact to get themselves uh across that border but uh i'd be interesting just to, to sort of hear the the take here um you know i mean i I suppose it's one of those isn 't it 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 's always your own choice whether you choose to to now that this is gone like there 's nothing to stop you from continuing to wear a mask if that 's what you feel most. Comfortable doing and what I want to do, and certainly if you're you're vulnerable and stuff. Um, I, I mean, what? Well, how do the rules stand in the states at the moment? I, there's no masks required. No, no masks right just, at all.
3: They've just reimplemented, mas- re-implemented masks uh, in many places here in Maine. We have some of the highest numbers. Uh, in the country the Bangor airport in fact bGr just implemented a mask rule saying you must wear a mask when you're in the airport in Bangor right. uh, based on on the numbers i suspect that uh, pwm Portland will be doing that soon because we have uh, an incredibly high countdown here in Cumberland county uh, all the school systems or a number of the school systems have put the mask rule back in place and i suspect that we will be uh, be seeing it again mm. uh, because one of the uh, things that happens when you lift, lift a mask rule during a pandemic, because a pandemic didn't go away, is that you're going to require to re a mask rule at some point mm. or another. Um, and so that's what's happening here in Maine. I personally uh, wear a mask whenever I am uh, in public. Uh, and yeah. I still haven't been to a restaurant uh, since September well as is and that uh,
1: and that's absolutely everybody's choice isn't it at the end of the day whatever people need to do uh, to feel safe and to, to to get out there then you you need to do it but uh, yeah so i, I don't i, we, I, I suppose uh, everybody will do, draw different conclusions to that as to whether that's good
3: news or bad news in terms of of, of that but uh,
1: yeah there we are I, I
3: can tell you this uh, brian um and i've been in touch with brian quite a bit because i'm mm. working on a podcast a journey as a reward with him and he's leaving for south africa tomorrow yesterday he was notified that south africa changed their rules he must have another uh, uh another covid test before he leaves right uh, and he must have it within 72 hours he was notified less than 40, less than 48 hours before the flight wow okay. uh, and uh there, there are a lot of rule changes that are taking place mm. in travel very quickly
1: i suppose the only advice we can give then to everyone is uh, check before you travel. I suppose that's
3: the best thing, isn't it? Make sure that you've al- allowed and, enough time. And Liz but, in the chat room just uh, put up that she uh, mm. said that uh, masking in airports and all types of public transportation is still mandatory in Canada. Mm.
4: Yeah, I absolutely. think it's interesting the uh, the the way they uh, expressed this in this article uh, that face mask on European flights is no longer recommended. It seems to me like it that wouldn't they. Be better off by saying no, no longer required. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was an interesting choice of words. No longer yeah. recommended. In other yeah. words, we don't recommend that you wear a, a
1: mask. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. I yeah. just think that's really odd. That's a strange thing. Yeah, absolutely. Alex is saying in the chat room. By the way, flew back from Malta Wednesday. Uh, EasyJet was requiring masks on board. Malta Airport stopped doing entry forms the day after we arrived. Oh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> So he didn't need one. Didn't need yes, as I say. If he'd gone a day later, he wouldn't have needed one. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point, isn't it? But uh, there we go. It's uh, well, like
0: like you said, Matt. I, I think it it can only be summed up in uh, if you're traveling, which mm. most of our listeners do. Uh, check the local travel requirements. Absolutely. And and. uh and stay safe. It's a personal. It's a personal, personal responsibility, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: It's not just a personal choice, but I, you know, this is my personal opinion. It's a it's a personal responsibility. Yeah. Um, to look out for your common man also, um, and I've seen in my travels quite a few people still wearing masks despite the mandates going away. Mm. Uh, even here in the city of Charlotte, I see quite a bit of, of masks wearing, uh, despite no no government mandates. And again, it's a it's a personal responsibility to your to your yeah. fellow man. So. Well there we go. Let's uh man, we have it. I think we
1: haven't we haven't done it in a couple of weeks now. Let's run some caption this if you're ready. Indeed, yes, absolutely. So, um uh, I'm trying to think uh I'm going to pop the picture up. Um who would like to try and describe um this picture for our um Well, I say Lewitt, we let Jeff do it. Right, okay. Here we go. All right, fair enough. Uh so this okay. is the picture that I need you to describe hmm. please for our audio listeners.
4: Well, you know, I don't see anything about this that looks uh, odd at all. Right. It looks pretty normal to me. <laughs> okay, fair
2: enough. Um, right.
4: Perfectly. So um, yeah. I, I take a little offense, uh, the fact that somebody put uh, the livery uh, APG Airlines. I don't see it now. Where uh, Where is it up there in that little square there? APG Airlines, uh, it appears to be a 747. It looks like the number two engine is... Uh, perhaps um fitted to the aircraft um improperly it's facing the opposite direction of the uh intended uh direction of flight it's it's on the uh wing pylon uh, engine pylon backwards
1: we, sounds perfectly normal isn't it he's uh, uh, alex robinson is saying in the chat room APG pioneering new 747 stall kit there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, I
4: well, mean it does help you uh, slow down pretty quickly.
2: Well, that's true. I uh, was we have say, that extra... It's the trust reverse.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah.
4: It's, it's actually literally <laughs> thrust reverse. Literally <laughs> thrust <laughs> reverse.
1: Yes. Well, with that in mind, then I suppose um, hopefully everybody's got the notes there and uh, Armando, I'll leave you in charge to decide who's doing what. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: this we did post this on Facebook, so follow us on Facebook to see the caption this. The first comment came from John Luke who said Miami Rick demonstrates the 747 latest thrust reverse system short for short field landings. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about Captain Jeff? You got the next one? Oh, I don't have the out. show notes. Um, oh, Myla's yeah, got notes. the show notes. Yes.
2: I've got go the show He's a great student.
0: <laughs> okay, so, I got him.
2: Gerald Rivet said, That's the last time my first officer does the walk around.
3: <laughs> Ooh, that hurts right here. Um, <laughs> Micah. Stuart Thomas wrote, Boeing's new 747 Air Force One demonstrates its state-of-the-art in thrust vectoring. That's what that's what $8 billion gets you. Uh, Stephen
0: Ivey gets you 50% thrust or nothing.
4: Yes. Way to go, Stephen.
0: Okay. Uh, Captain Jeff, you got the next one.
4: Uh, this is from uh, Nick Anderson. Never heard of him. I think I've worked out how to make this damn Boeing turn better.
0: <laughs> that sounds like something he would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. Mila.
2: Dean Tedder says they built this variant for quick turnarounds.
3: Quite.
4: Oh, I like
3: it. I like it. (laughs) Micah. Jake Castle says, well, still maintaining 50% accuracy, I suppose, which we all know is all we can ask for. (laughs) Hey. Matt, sorry to leave you up. No, no, you're right. I haven't
1: got them in front of me, so... too many things to do. Uh, uh,
0: Stuart Thomas said doors to manual would go to any lengths for an RB211. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sh- shameless plug, we just had him on the show. Indeed.
3: Yeah. And Armando,
0: you should definitely take the next one. Yes, this is me channeling my inner Captain Nick Anderson again. Uh, in the write-up, discrepancy. Number two thrust reverse lever, stuck.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing. Yeah. Mila.
2: Michael Clark says quality control on Boeing's assembly lines continues to improve.
0: <laughs> I like it. Rob Mark, do you have the show notes up? It's pop quiz. Oh, he's got the little red microphone.
3: Okay. <laughs> well, Glenn Brooks said, Who left the apprentice unsupervised again? Guys, <laughs> okay, so I'm, like
5: I'm sorry I've had to dance on and off because I had. Uh, I had doctor issues that were happening as we spoke. Oh, damn. Um, and so, uh, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to read... <laughs> read what Ben Jones yeah. said. Uh, okay, let's see what Ben Jones had to say about leading...
4: Don't read it to yourself. Read it out loud. To everybody.
5: <laughs> I, I don't know what, I, what I'm okay. supposed to be reading because all, all I see is Ben's uh, uh, Facebook page. Okay.
1: Oh, Oh. (laughs) Oh, okay. That was unexpected. Uh, So anyway, leading edge demister is uh, what Ben Jones's comment was on the Facebook page. (laughs) All right. Alan
0: White says, the lack of qualified maintenance personnel in the aviation industry is clearly evident.
4: (laughs) Captain Jeff. Uh, Tom Hathaway comes in with, Boeing announces game-changing STOL, or S-T-O-L, short takeoff and landing 747.
1: <laughs> I'm glad somebody explained uh, that. Thank you. <laughs>
4: miss, I was politely that. laughing. I had no idea.
2: My all yeah. <laughs> wrote, okay, who let the luckys hang the inboard?
1: <laughs> what, are <luckies? laughs> what are luckies? What are luckies? Electricians. Yeah. It's, lucky. it's an English thing. Oh, lucky. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. luckys. Electricians. Yeah. Leckies, oh. electricians. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, okay. is that
0: the voice of Mark in the background? Yes, I, yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> I was
4: saying, who's that?
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> all right. Micah. Just bec- Sorry, Dan, go ahead. Dan Steeman says, 50% accuracy has extended to APG maintenance
1: division. Oh, no mm. for that. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. Stuart Thomas says, the police released information about a suspicious male matching Carlos's description, seeing undoing the bolts on a 747 engine. <laughs> police also say the same male was also seen last week straddling a tri-star window. Uh, stra- <laughs> sorry, str... Yeah, straddling. Yeah, no, you were uh, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Police have asked if you see this man to dial nine nine nine. I think his absence this evening is, in, is uh, inconspicuous, shall we say, mm. or right. conspicuous? Sorry, that's probably better. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, right. who's going to take Dirk's comment? Capitan Jeff.
4: Okay, Dirk Simic or Simic says, presenting the latest Boeing MCAS two thrust reverser system.
1: <laughs> too soon yeah. too soon
0: yeah
4: it is too soon <laughs>
1: indeed alex robinson saying in the chat room by the way he's saying that thrust level stuck uh, is a possible issue with with that one there uh, we've also got uh, he's a, he's also got another one saying uh, that uh, the mechanics misunderstood uh, balanced field performance
3: <laughs> uh- <laughs> and i like what neil lawrence had to say he said the brief said Balance the thrust. Objective achieved. <laughs> well, uh, James, James
0: Brown in the chat room said, add toga power to engines two and four and take her for a spin.
1: <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Richard Adams also says in the chat room, "But uh, you can always go around in endless circles.
0: <laughs> I there love it. All right, guys, we got ten minutes to do some military, have and I'm, we?
3: I'm, oh. we're,
0: we're wasting this opportunity. <laughs> wow. We have Rob Marks on the show, and we're not going to get yeah. to do all the military stories. But Matt, if you're ready, we're uh, before you hit the button. We're actually just going to jump right into story three, if that's all right with you. So hit the button. Buggies one three five fifty angels <laughs> Okay.
3: All right, Micah, take it away. Well, it's from the war zone, and it's dated May 10th. And the story says the first public UFO hearing in over 50 years to be held by Congress next week. So apparently two senior U.S. military officials are scheduled to testify next week at the first open congressional hearing on UFOs in more than 50 years. Quote. Americans need to know more about these unexplained occurrences. Indiana Democrat Andre Carson announced Tuesday morning in a tweet. And I think that's all we need to say. (laughs) Project Blue Book opened and closed many years ago. And we all you know, I I, I think you know what happened is that I I think the problem was that uh, poor Indiana Democrat Andrew Carson was affected by the chemtrails. (laughs) Uh,
0: right well listen that pretty much does summarize the the article right so so we talked about it on the show a couple months ago that the navy actually released some footage of unidentified flying objects from some gun camera footage from f-18s um but i want to go around the room uh jeff what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen while flying
4: oh well, years ago, when I used to do a lot of night flying, um, it, when you're, you know, it's amazing the, the the night sky filled with stars that you just you don't realize how many stars are out there until you're up in the air, away from the earth and away from light, and uh, you look and just look at the absolutely amazing uh, constellation of stars and galaxies and everything else. But one of the things uh, that you kind of see on occasion is. Some weird lights that are kind of flashing and moving around and, you know, undulating and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of makes you think, hmm, that's weird. That doesn't look like a normal thing that I should be seeing. And then you realize that it's probably one of the planets that's being lit by our own solar system or our own sun. And it's uh, so close to the horizon that uh, the different uh, layers of the of the atmosphere are changing. Uh, the light spectrum and so the light that so it's changing the color of the planet and it's moving around and everything else and so it turns out that every time i thought i saw something that was extraterrestrial related uh it, pr- it could be a- explained pretty easily for just a normal um. Um, natural atmospheric effect and now i will say You know, I believe that there is such a thing as UFOs, unidentified flying objects. I mean, literally, if you can't identify what it is, it's unidentified. True. And it appears to be a flying object. Do I believe that there are, you know, space aliens out there, you know, flying around in in our world? No, absolutely not. I do not agree. I was going to say,
3: Jeff, that I I used to see a lot of unidentified flying objects. But then I got Flight Radar 24 and I can identify (laughs) it. Now you identify.
1: (laughs) There you go. See what you did there. See what you did there.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I love that the guy laying down the chemtrails is justifying that. Oh, there's nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> now, thanks, Jeff. Armando, I told
4: you not to talk about that.
0: <laughs> All right, right, right. So that was that was Captain Leff, not Captain Jeff. Right. That's right. Yes. Milo, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in the air?
2: <laughs> um one evening, I got a text message from a friend saying, oh, there's going to be a meteor shower in the next couple of days. So if you look to the east from the Netherlands, of course, which was in the direction of Germany. And that evening, I was not scheduled to fly, but I ended up getting called out. And uh, England. so I was flying from the UK to Germany, positioning an airplane. And it was overcast So we thought... We were not gonna see anything, but we ended up above the clouds and I because the clouds were there, um the light from the ground was blocked. And we turned off all the lights in the cockpit, made everything as dark as possible, and we lay our arms on the on the wind, windscreen and I saw maybe over thirty or something shooting stars. That was amazing. I lost count at one point. So yeah, that was that was really beautiful and coincidental because i wasn't even scheduled to fly but still yeah
1: love that
5: nice mm-hmm. rob um well i am i i'm at a bit of a loss for words on this one because uh nobody ever told me you were supposed to look out the windows oh. <laughs> i I, <laughs> I i i mean i'm i'm plumb perplexed here um so so you find these things when you're looking out. I thought you were supposed to be focused on instruments when you're on an IFR flight plan. And I I always kept my head inside so I didn't get confused. Um, but so obviously I've been missing a lot. I am very upset about that. I'm going to I'm going to fix it in the
3: future.
0: But, I love it. <laughs> How about you, Micah? What's the oddest thing you've seen in the sky?
3: Um, well, I, I, I think it was, you know, with. Nah, I can't really go into that, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Actually, oh, the come question on. That I had. Don't who, leave us it, hanging. When you were
4: abducted? <laughs> yeah, that the, the,
3: you know, when they. But uh, have any of you guys ever encountered while you're flying? I've never seen it. St. Elmo's fire? I think that would oh, be yeah. really strange. Yeah. I've um, seen it, yeah. What's it's that? Beautiful. Somebody explain what that is?
4: uh what's the actual uh it's it's clinging lightning uh basically
1: oh uh, oh, right okay
4: it it, it's the uh, has to do with the magnetic poles and the the magnetic fields and the way light interacts with it and it usually occurs very very far to the north and i guess it happens on the toward the south pole as well although i've never seen it down that way
3: oh no i'm not talking about the northern lights I'm talking about oh. St. Elmo's Fire that Oh St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I misunderstood. St. Elmo's Fire that you know it's, yeah. it's sort of a lightning type thing that that clings yeah. to the aircraft as you're or, or, yeah. or oh, would yeah. be, used to be that the mass is, of ships. Yeah. That
4: is pretty amazing. And my my St. Elmo's Fire experience was uh, an early morning flying from Mobile, Alabama to Atlanta, Georgia in the very early part of December. And we're and it's very early in the morning, so it's still very dark. It's that time of year. In the winter time in the northern hemisphere, and uh, notice that some, kind of that glow that you uh, after you've seen it a few times you understand what's happening, and it's just mesmerizing. You just start staring at it, and and uh, it's it it's just starts lighting up the the sky in front of you, and then all of a sudden I'm knocking over my wine glass. <gasps> Don't um, do that, danger, not in the airplane, danger. <laughs> um, and uh, but luckily it's it's empty, so I'm okay. Oh. Uh, no, that no so, no 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 stop 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 that isn't not okay (laughs) well it's not okay and as soon as i finish my sentence i'm gonna go and fill it back up uh but uh so we're we're just kind of mesmerized by this and thinking that's kind of odd to see that this time of year and then all of a sudden it just kind of grew into this ball and then it just went boom (laughs) and exploded and it was like a huge bolt of lightning that that uh, lit up the entire cockpit and uh, luckily we had the airplane on autopilot in our descent we were in the mid teens and uh I I just we we kind of just paused for a second and I said can you see anything and he said nope can you <laughs> nope <laughs> and so we were blinded by the, blinded yeah. by the light <laughs> and uh
1: I know a song about that yeah.
4: And it, but it just after a few seconds, our, our sight started coming back because, you know, our eyes were adjusted to the very, very dark our pupils were wide open. And then this thing just exploded and made a big noise. And it just uh, talking about startle effect. But uh, I just thought the funniest part of it was, can you see anything? No. Can you? <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs> do, you know, do you want to know what my, my takeaway is from this again? The guy laying the cam trails just justified Saint Elmo diverted the conversation to Saint Elmo's fire, <laughs> so we wouldn't talk about the UFOs. I okay, just, I'm never
4: coming back on the this show. This again. is, this yeah, is oh, master, putting me on the spot. This is a
0: master class in digressing to irrelevancies. I love it. Thank
1: you. I know. I, I know what I've learned from this. I've now learned two songs that I'll be playing on my Park Radio Sunday morning show, which is Saint <laughs> Elmo's Fire and Blinded by the Light. Blinded, I think I've got two, got two classics there to stick stick on. Join me from seven a.m. here. Here in the UK, if you want to shameless. Oh, yeah, shameless. <laughs> How about we
0: go on to the last the next and last military story? Rob Marks is going to take us over to the KC46 if Ooh. he's ready.
5: No, of course not. I I, <laughs> I, I, mean, I I asked Micah this this afternoon. I said, Am I am I going to just be able to figure everything out? And he said, oh, piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, exactly. It. We should have had David Vanderhoof on a, a tanker story. Send, I mean, this, yeah. is his, this is his forte. But no, Micah, if you can help me out with this. Well, uh, you know, I'm,
3: it's a story that would not die. The KC-46 continues yeah. to. Uh, well, we're not going to talk about a bad thing. We're going to talk about a good thing about the KC-46 tanker. The longest flight in the U.S. Air Force's Air Mobility Command, which I believe is a command that, Jeff, you were a part of at one time. Were you not? Oh, he was part of like a strategic air command or something like that back in the
0: day.
4: Military airlift command. Thank you very much. Man, that's
1: what it was. (laughs)
3: Now, play anyway, nice to you
1: two or all bang your heads together. Stop The eight.
4: longest flight has recently <laughs> been set, clocking
3: in at a staggering 24.2 hours. Aircrew of the 22nd Refueling Wing from McDonnell Air Base in Kansas set the record as part of an aerial refueling capabilities test between May 5th and May 6th, 2022. The aircrew consisting of six pilots, three boom operators, a photojournalist, and a physician's assistant flew aboard a Boeing KC-46 Pegasus tanker, which is basically a 760s. Seven that has been reconfigured to fly as a tanker, and will eventually might even be in service. But that's another story. <clears throat> anyway, the KC forty six represents at least in theory a critical, and, and that's from the article. That's not me. At least in theory. <laughs> A critical upgrade to the Air Force's refueling capabilities. Full operational capa- at full operational capacity, it's able to refuel most fixed-wing receiver-capable aircraft, according to the U.S. Air Force. It can deliver more fuel at all ranges from shorter runways than the KC-135 aircraft it is replacing. In addition, except it's going to be replacing the KC-10, but that's something else. In addition, the tanker takes up less overall ramp space than many competing commercial derivative tankers, according to Boeing. Yeah, if you believe Boeing. Boeing And enabling mission <laughs> <laughs> mission reach at both forward and austere airfields, and I think that's probably enough for this article. Because we're running out of time. <laughs> I love
4: and it. It. Only, I don't even...
5: it only took Boeing how long to get this thing to <laughs> this point?
3: Well, it says uh, the aircraft's been in development since 2011, but really, it's been in development for much longer than that. But that you know th- this is a when on the on the airplane geeks this this any kind of tanker story is david van nemesis because it's been going on forever and ever and ever and it still continues mm-hmm. to be it's still not working right I I mean, much th- much
0: like this flight that went on forever <laughs> and ever
3: <laughs> very true I, I, the bit that's fascinating
1: from my perspective here is, is you know is is the air crew consisting of six pilots three boom operators a photojournalist and a physician. It's like there was a doctor on, but why?
3: Would... <laughs> it was a PA, a physician's assistant. Oh, it wasn't a real. It wasn't oh, right. a physician. it was a physician assistant. What does that mean? They're uh, qualified to take your your blood pressure. Is that about it? Or <laughs> under physician supervision, they can they can do about uh, uh, very many things that a physician can do. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I think it was a no,
0: it was a novel mission and it was a unique mission. So. Um, they wanted to make sure, you know, it, it, there's a lot of room on board a KC-46 since mm. it's not operational. And <laughs> and uh, they had an extra seat. And why not throw a doctor on board to make sure that everybody's uh, uh, physiology is correct and where right. it should be? Otherwise, they, they cancel the tests, right? But um, and also because of social media, you got to have the photojournalist on board. But what this made me think of is around the room. What is your longest flight ever? And I'm guessing there's going to be a C 141 flight for you, Jeff.
4: You're right. Actually, uh, the longest that I've actually experienced was, uh, a passenger, a space, a flight on a C five double refueling, um, from Travis to, I don't know, somewhere in Asia. Uh, but, uh, the 141 itself, uh, I'd say probably my longest would be around 12 to 14 hours, not super long.
0: Uh, Mila, what's your longest flight ever?
2: Uh, about 5 and i'm not really sure whether that was the flight from oslo to marseille or the one from athens to malmo sweden so either one of those two wow
3: rob what's uh, your longest flight i'm ever?
5: trying to think of the longest and it it probably isn't that long because a lot of the uh the flights i made on business jets uh, uh hawkers uh, citations even the gulfstreams were just Nobody in the back wanted to sit on board that long. Mm. So we, we just didn't stay in the air that long. I mean, three and a half, maybe four hours, but I doubt it was
3: much more than that.
4: That's long enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Micah? The longest flight—it was just recent—and you know it was a full day of travel when I went from Portland to uh, to visit you guys in the UK in London uh from, but via San Francisco. But the longest actual non-stop was when I I got to San Francisco and then just returning over to London. So really, what was that? Maybe ten hours. It really wasn't that far compared to what's available these days. Mm, true, it's mm, a long off ma- flight. You
1: know, um, yeah, well, I'm trying to think what so. I th- the the longest flight I ever did was ended up in two parts basically where I flew uh, it was Heathrow to Kuala Lumpur and then Kuala Lumpur onto Auckland.
3: That's a um, pretty long flight, and I was, yeah. but,
1: and, but it was a three-hour layover in the airport, a three-three and a half-hour layover in the in Kuala Lumpur airport, which is an amazing airport. At least it was back then. I don't know, I don't know what it's like now, but back then it was it was a very very fancy posh posh airport back back then. But uh, yeah, that was that that was a a long flight. It wasn't so bad going, but on the way back, it really broke me. <laughs>
3: I was, yeah. And Armando, I imagine yeah. that you would have some many, many, many hours in the air. You probably can't tell us where, but uh, what was the hour, number of hours? Well,
0: I'll, I'll use it as a segue. Andy Williamson says uh, 12 hours in an RAF C-130 back in the days. For me, my longest flight, I think, was a 17 and a half on an Osprey coming across the ocean. Um, but in order to get the Osprey across, you needed two C-130s. And those two C-130s needed a KC-135 um, to fight the winds coming W- w- east to west. Um and that was that was pretty miserable.
4: <laughs> how many how many ARs did you have to do to get all the way across? I, I don't
0: even know. It, it must count, have been right? yeah, it must have been four wow. ARs. And then uh, the the Ospreys would tank from the C one thirties the two C one thirties and then they would get gas from the one thirty five and then they'd come back down and pass gas to us and then we'd take turns and it was just this whole dance all the way across the Atlantic. But wow.
3: And, you know, uh, the longest flight in the world that's just Qantas is starting is they're going to be doing 19 hours from uh, from Perth. Is it Perth to London or Sydney to London? I can't remember and uh, what's really interesting about that, and I'm stealing this part, but apparently uh, Spirit Airlines is also competing with that, and they're going to be offering a 19 hour flight from LaGuardia to Philadelphia.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were setting something up.
3: <laughs> You know, I don't, what
4: I don't understand, honestly, is why people like brag about how long the flights are. And I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I, I think the longer the flight, the worse. I mean, I don't, why are you yeah. bragging about how long the darn flight is? I, I just don't make, doesn't yeah. make sense to me.
5: I, I'm with you.
1: Yeah, it's a oh, yeah. funny one, there isn't it? I, I just like—I—I I, I don't know. I, I suppose it, it's a—it's a means to an end for me. That's—that's the—the end of it. I mean, New Zealand. Uh, I was lucky because I was there for three weeks, and and I think that was a, a good shout in my in my part because you had a good time to get over the flight mm-hmm. and then enjoy your time in New Zealand, uh, which is. Genuinely, one of the most beautiful countries I've ever visited, and we only did the North Island. So I, I met um, a friend of mine was actually travelling, and we met in um auckland which was amazing um mm. and we did because I'm a, I'm a proper nerd so we did the full lord of the rings tours for all the bits and pieces that were on the north island north island and we went to several locations all all over the north island to to sort of tick these boxes so it was absolutely amazing and I, I i i am still adamant that at some point um while i'm still on this this uh this this earth that i will go and do the south island um because you know places like christchurch and all that kind of thing i'm absolutely desperate to go and see so for me these long flights are literally a means to an end i mean Mm. but then i you know i'm i'm famous for being a nervous passenger so i suppose you know that kind of airtime is not something uh, that appeals to me in any way but i mean does anybody else enjoy flying that much that they're going to be happy in an aircraft for that long nope hard pass for me
5: yeah hard pass Mm -hmm. Yeah, not not a not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. Good. Well, I'm glad we had this chat. Uh... <laughs> hey, uh
0: so listen, before we wrap up the show, um uh Captain Ridiculous Wits aka uh James Brown in the chat rooms uh highlighting how the air tankers are hard at work over there in New Mexico. Um there's some pretty fierce wildfires going on there and a lot of those folks are, are military pilots old military airplanes um, but, uh, that is a, a, very dangerous part of our industry that, that, uh, air attack and, and fire suppression mission. So, um, obviously our thoughts are with all those guys out there, um, you know, fighting those fires, just like they did in Australia a couple of years ago, California and everywhere else that they go do their, their missions. So, um, I love it. Um, stay safe out there. Fellas and uh, mm. Matt, i actually closed out my show notes, but if you want to take us out with the social meds
1: yeah, absolutely. We'll just whiz through. Oh dear, you've you've totally thrown me under a bus there, because I I got the titles ready. Uh, that'll teach me when it social media. We'll start with a WhatsApp number. It is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven. See what I did there? Two two four nine one six six. That's our WhatsApp number to get in touch with us here in the studio. on oh. Social media. If you search social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for "plain talking UK," that's our handle. "Plain talking UK" all as one world. Your f- word, you'll find all of our social media, including our caption this competition that we launch on a Wednesday. Uh, the website is always worth a visit: uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, on there, you'll find links to our Patreon, uh, to our Amazon links so that you can pi- buy purchases and contribute to the show without even. Having Having to put your hand in the pocket other than to buy yourself some stuff basically amazon pay us a small ab- advertising referral free fee Well, a notion that i put my teeth in try that again uh, and uh, yes it, we use it to, to buy uh, equipment here for the studio so you as i say you can help by just doing your shopping uh there's also a link for the paypal as well if you prefer to if you're willing to to help us out if you like uh by doing that and finally if you've got anything you want to share with us on the show the easiest way to do that is our email address get in touch with we love to receive your feedback, good or bad, because we are here making a show for you guys. So please do share your feedback, apart from Captain Jeff. If it is a complaint, by the way, it is uh, complaints at airlinepilotguide.com, I believe. Uh, <laughs> and it's, but uh, but our email, if you want to get in touch, podcast at talkinguk.com. That's podcast at talkinguk.com.
0: All right. Hey, guys, I want to thank uh, Micah, Rob, Captain Jeff, Mila. Uh, You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Matt, thank you for pushing the buttons and uh, hanging in there with this (laughs) scraggly crowd of pilots. I'm going for a lie down after this, yeah. (laughs) All right. Everybody have a great week ahead, and uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Take care, everyone. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.